Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. who defined film in their own very specific way. Because we are doing Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious and John Woo's Mission Impossible 2. Really excited when Andy said he wanted to to do something, or the guest, uh, Andy Gorham, who's amazing, um, (laughs) said he wanted to do something different and I didn't choose something Italian, so I'm a little proud of myself. But as I had mentioned before, our guest who was turning into the busy podcaster it is of course andy gorham hey how's it going hey Lindsay, i am going great thank you again for having me on always a blast to talk to you about movies especially when you push me outside of my comfort zone <laughs> yes because yeah um people goes oh just ch- give me something you know different that wouldn't watch i'm like no because i'm not going to make you watch something italian from the 70s and it's not going to be good <laughs> well it'll be good for me hey i'm you- up for anything <laughs> yeah um, Preston said, I'll go for something Italian. Well, uh, he's going to go for Stazis, the police action Italian movies from the 70s, which are the most insane things oh. you've ever seen. So thank you, Preston. You're going to be in for sure. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This is, this is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Thank you for having me. I can't think of two different, but yet strangely similar kind of themed movies. So well, yeah. yeah, very similar in plot. But before we get into it, as I said, you've been such a busy podcaster. Um, I know you've just recorded on something on Cobwebs, which we won't say the movie. I don't know when he, sure. that one's coming out. But you're also going to be starting up Chris Barreras' old podcast, Imperial Scum, which is a start. A yes. Start. yes, yes. We were uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Star Wars Celebration was in full force, and he and I were geeking out, texting each other left and right about all the different news, but also just Star Wars in general. Um, and then he just texted me out, out of the blue. He goes, I think I want to start up my podcast again. And I, and I just wrote and I said, awesome. Secretly going, God, I'd love to do it with you. But then he, his very next text was like, with you as co-host, of course. And I was just like, that sounds great. But my wife, who is, who I was laying next to, I was like hitting her. I was like, can you believe it? Chris wants to do the podcast. And she was just like, I get it. Relax. It's fine. <laughs> so Yep. And then he also mentioned his former co-host, one of his former co-hosts, Mark, is also going to be joining us. So all three of us are going to be bringing the Star Wars positivity and fighting back the fandom menace, as we all like to say. Excellent. I cannot look. I can't wait to look forward to it because I like Star Wars. I mainly like the movies. I haven't quite dug into all the extra lore that that is out there. So I'm looking forward to actually digging into some of that and, and learning a few things. Oh, yes. Thank you. So are we. We keep texting each other, which I'm sure as you're with your show, you sit there and go, oh, I should do this. I should do that. Yes. This is a movie I talk about. So I'm, I'm literally testing. I'm like, we need to talk about 
favorite lightsaber hilts. We need to talk about favorite sound effects. <laughs> so, yes, we have a lot of plans coming up, and eventually we will get guests on, and we look forward to having people like yourself and other guests that we've met. So, because we want more than just more than just dudes' voices to be on this show, we want it to be Star Wars is for everyone, and we want everyone to be a part of it. So. Excellent. No, it sounds like an action for everyone kind of version of Star Wars, and I'm looking forward to it in terms of it being for everyone. Correct. No, that sounds amazing. Really looking forward to it. And you're just popping up all over the place, like you're on the John Woo episode for Film Feast. You're going in cobwebs. You're just, yeah. You're, um, I think you also just talked about Rapid Fire, which was an amazing episode. On, so, yeah, it's been great to hit, sort of hear you around. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. There's times when I get done recording where I like feel like I'm an, like I, I'm an imposter sitting here but then I have lovely people like you and Preston and Dan and Matt and James and Chris going stop it and you're just letting that get in there so I'm like you're right I just need to to stop being so self-deprecating because none of my friends let me be self-deprecating <laughs> <laughs> no we will not allow it okay. and yeah and with that we're going to go into two directors who well they might be self Actually, I can't imagine Hitchcock ever being self-deprecating, um, at least not at the um, <laughs> end of his career. Two directors who are completely assured of themselves. Yep, we're going to be doing Notorious and then Mission Impossible 2. I'm so excited to get into this. Um, so as I like to imagine, the sitting down in the theatre, curtains are starting to open. And Andy, what is going to be your trailer for Notorious? Okay, I went back and forth a lot on this. I was like, okay, do I go pure spy? Do I do this? Do I do that? But I kind of settled on Valkyrie from 2008 with Tom Cruise. We have to show the world that not all of us will like him. It is too great a risk. It doesn't change what we must do. What did you have in mind? You could serve Germany or the Fuhrer. Not both. It's just that talk that had you sent here, Colonel. What I said was much worse. I'm a soldier. But in serving my country, I have betrayed my conscience. We need to reorganize. There has to be a chance of success. That's why you're here. Hitler's Germany has seen its last sunrise. Can I count you in? Any problem on Earth can be solved with the careful application of high explosives. Because there was a part of me that, you know, notorious, they're trying to infiltrate Germans and trying to do this stuff. And I said, okay, well, these are Germans who are trying to kill Hitler. So what better kind of, and there's tense building and stuff like that. So it just kind of fit when I thought about it. And I was like, let's go with that one because I haven't talked about that movie in a while. <laughs> Neither have I. I remember when it came out, everyone was bagging on it. And I remember going seeing it yeah. and going, it was actually pretty good. I mean, it wasn't mainly because they mocked it for no one doing accents, but they did the exact same thing that another great movie does when you have a, a man who was never going to be doing an accent like that, Sean Connery being a Russian in Hunt for Red October, where they start speaking Russian and then they just slide into, into English. It does the exact same trick. Yes, yes. I think they use, I know in the Hunt for Red October, they use the same word that's in Russian and English. So yes. I'd have to double check if they did the same thing in this one, but yeah, I don't know that if they would did make sense if they did. Yeah, they did. I, don't okay, know if, perfect. yeah I don't know if they did or not, but I was just like, oh, it's like, I just remember going, oh, Hunt for Red October. 
Um, mm-hmm. And my friend went, what? Um, she was watching a movie and I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Um, but no, it was Christopher McQuarrie directed it, didn't he? It was one of his first... Uh, no, Christopher McQuarrie wrote it. Brian wrote Singer it. directed it. Ah, yes. Okay, I'll just pretend that um, McQuarrie directed it. Same well. here. Yep, yeah. I saw that. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He's unfortunately directed a lot of movies. I like, yeah, but it's actually just a really smart kind of over, not because it is about the attempted assassination of Hitler and all this kind of thing. So yeah, no, really solid um, pick for going into um, into into this. So yeah, no, I haven't seen it for a while though either. But I remember everyone being really good in it. Yeah, yeah. I remember the cast being good. I mean, you know, Branna's always good. I remember that, and I remember there was more, it being a lot more tense than I would have expected it yes. to be from, you know, and, and once again, not action tense, but just like, because, I mean, we all know what happens. It's it's not like they are doing a alternate, you know, historical take, but I'm still sitting there kind of just going, they're building tension well, acting's good. And Tom Cruise, I think when he's outside of his comfort zone, much like a lot of us, he yes. sometimes flourishes. And this one, I think he does a a good job. I mean, it's Tom Cruise. He's he's always reliable. He's a psychopath in real life, but he's always reliable. On yeah, the he screen, is. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, he he absolutely is a psychopath in real life, and he's but he's always reliable on screen, and he does what it kind of needs to do. But no, it's got one of those amazing kind of casts. I mean, um, Eddie Izzard, Bill Nye, Kev Brenner, who I just love. Um, I can't remember if he's mm-hmm. a bad guy in that or. I always love it when Brenna does bad guy. I can't remember. Right. I know he's a he's a general of some kind, but I can't yeah. remember again if he's part of the crew that's trying to plot it or if he's if it's, they're the guy he has to kind of work around. I really yeah, can't it's a little hot because it is Nazis versus Nazis. So it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> which is gonna <laughs> <tell it off. laughs> Um but yeah, it is yeah, it's, I just remember I need to watch this again. I've been meaning to watch this again for actually a while. So thank you for putting it on my thing because I'm like, no, no, I need to, I need to watch this. But this is will be a really great trailer for what we're about to, to get into. Um, yeah, I've been going back and forth because there's a couple I really wanna. Actually, no, I'm gonna go for the classic again. Um, another Ingrid Bergman movie, another movie with Nazis, but this movie was made in 1942. But I'm gonna go Casablanca. Playing in Lisbon. You'd like to be on it? Why? What's in Lisbon? Clipper to America. This is something that even you have never seen. Round up the usual suspects and search them for stolen documents. May you see your papers? Do something, you must help me! I'll stick my neck out for nobody. There is a man arrived in Casablanca on his way to America. Victor Laszlo. Laszlo? The Nazis have been chasing him all over Europe. Laszlo must never reach America. He stays in Casablanca. I'm a saloon keeper. The problems of the world are not in my department. Why did you come back? To tell me why you ran out on me at the railway station? If you only knew the truth. I wouldn't believe you no matter what you told me. There was this or Marathon Man, which blew me away, but I think it will be it's nice to show one of the greatest movies ever made in front of <laughs> one of the direct, greatest directors ever made. Um, Casablanca is one of those black and white movies that I think I could show to anyone. Um, even if they don't know classic movies, especially if they don't know classic movies that well, especially if they don't like watching black and white movies. I'm like, no, 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 watch Casablanca. I mean, it's got Claude Rains as well being a 
amazing. I mean, he's got some of the best one-liners in the movie. Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Bergman again, um, Conrad Veidt. It is just one of those 1940s casts that you just look at. Oh, yeah, the Peter Lurie, um, Sydney Green Street that you just look at and just go, wow, they got those guys are all in the same room just being amazing. And you already know some of the lines from it. You know, um, it may, uh, you know, it will always have Paris. Um, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you will regret it. Um, but Claude, if you want to see why I love Claude Rains so much, watch Casablanca because uh, Humphrey Bogart threatening to shoot him in the heart and he goes, that's my least vulnerable spot. It's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, one um, of the things I always... Mm, yes, one of the things yeah. I always forget is oh sorry to cut you off but it's 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 a perfect running time too it's it's like an hour and 42 minutes like there's yeah. a part of me that always thinks these old movies are going to be like three hours long but then you watch you're like man it just breezes by it moves so quickly much like another movie we're about to talk about it just breezes mm -hmm. by so quick like and it is really I mean this was and people forget Casablanca was a piece of pure propaganda it was 1942 they just, um, I think it was being made just before or was just trying to get Americans settled into the fact that we are now in war. So it was kind of about being in Casablanca, which it was a refugee town. Like all these people from all over Europe were, tr were in um, Casablanca trying to get out because this was still Nazi held territory. And the fact that there's so much about refugees and war, uh, especially wartime refugees, you just, that, I think people forget that's what it's about. I mean, um, the fact that, you know, concentration camps are mentioned and all that kind of thing, or prisoner of war camps are mentioned and everything. It's, um, yeah, it's a really beautifully dense film. Michael Cortez, again, one of the great kind of that era directors. So, yeah, so that I decided to go for the easy one. Though, if you ever want to see an amazing movie about Nazis being, that's equivalent to being body snatchers, watch Marathon Man. Holy hell. I don't know anything. as possible bait. It's not safe. Is it safe? Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Um, it has been a long time for me to, since I've watched that. So yes, that's going on my list as well. No, that I was just watching Majora the Four going, this is what the movie's about? Oh, crap. Um... <laughs> No wonder people are so afraid of dentists. Um, and with that, we're going to be getting into, okay, my favorite Hitchcock movie. This is it. This is the one. Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. What's your angle? Got a job for you. There's only one job that you and coppers would want me for. You remember a man named Sebastian? One of my father's friends, yes. He's part of the combine that built up the German war machine and hopes to keep on going. We have to contact him. She's a perfect type for the job. Sebastian knows her. He was once in love with her. She's good at making friends with gentlemen. I don't think any of us have any illusions about her character, have we, Devlin? This is a very strange love affair. Find out what's going on inside this house, what the group around him is up to, and report to us. Oh, darling, what you didn't tell them, tell me. That you believe I'm nice and that I love you and I'll never change back. She's had me worried for some time. 
A woman of that sort. I was watching you and your friend, Mr. Devlin. Mr. Devlin doesn't mean a thing to me. I'd like to be convinced. Someone is coming. I'm going to kiss you. No, he'd only think we... That's what no. I want him to think. Uh, now, this was your first um, time watching it, but have you? do you have a sort of relationship with Alfred Hitchcock, or is he just kind of one of those big directors that you just ha don't know quite know where to start? Uh, I have a little history with it. It's one of those directors, uh, my cousin, um, he's about nine years older than I am. He's kind of the, one of the reasons I love Star Wars as much as I do. Um, he moved away. And then when he moved back home, we would hang out a bit. And he and his wife at that time, they had a whole room dedicated to Hitchcock posters and stuff. So when I go over there as like 18, 19 years old, we'd sometimes watch some of these movies. So like, you know, Vertigo, all these things, but I'm still, it's not like ingrained in me that I have to watch Hitchcock or things like that. So I, this was wonderful. Cause I was like, at first you mentioned two movies that I was like, okay, just talked about one. I'll gladly talk about it till the ends of the earth. Cause I love it so much, but I was like, let's push Andy out of his comfort zone a little bit. And you were like notorious. I was like, how's Biggie, how's notorious B.I.G. match with mission. Imp oh, wait a minute. The 1960s. <laughs> so, but it was, uh, I was incredibly surprised, um, not be, because I, I, I knew I like it. Hitchcock knows what he's doing. Like yeah. he's not one of the classic directors for uh, you know various reasons. He knows what he's doing. Hitchcock was but not a I hack. Was, <laughs> right, no, definitely not a hack. Um, honestly, Ingrid Bergman surprised me most in this. Like I know you, everybody, you know, when you see the posters and you see, you know, the names and the order that they come in in the movie, you're just like, I, to me, this is her movie. She's, yeah. she steals everything in it. She's amazing. Um, and I mean, not that the rest of the cast isn't, the rest of the cast is super solid, but I love when you see Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. I was like, I should have been Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant. <laughs> it really should have been. It is her, her movie. I completely agree with that because, um, because you're sort of watching it and Cary, Cary Grant is usually charm personified. The man walks into a room. That's all you can see. He's amazing. He's quick-witted. And in this movie, he's kind of doing this weird tightrope of pulling back the charm a little bit, but while still trying to be Cary Grant and let the, sh the show be Ingrid Bergman. Because it was interesting. Um, if you ever want to go back and watch some old Mae West and um, Marlena Dietrich movies back in the 30s, um, there's a few roles where Cary Grant, before he was Cary Grant, like before the real accent came out and he was still trying to find his way, he was kind of their supporting man and he kind of knew that they were the show. So he would kind of step back even and let them kind of do their thing and light up the screen. And he would kind of just be there as, as, as supporting. And he's doing the same with Ingrid Bergman. I'm like, Oh yeah. You know what, you know, that she's the show, you know, to, you can pull out a few carried grandisms here and there, but you know it to pull back a little bit. It's a really fascinating performance by him. Mm -hmm. because, yeah, very, because he's stepping so. back and just letting Ingrid just go oh hello look at her look at how amazing she is <laughs> it, it's also interesting how he kind of comes in and out of the movie too at like yes. specific times because I expected you know much so when you see Cary Grant as the the headliner that the movie is going to follow him mainly and I was pleasantly surprised that every time he would leave we stay with Ingrid Bergman and you get to see all of the things that go on with her from getting deeper and deeper in as this undercover, but also um, 
just seeing how she navigates all these things. And then when Cary Grant comes back in, how he's acting towards her when you know he feels the same way, but he can't allow himself to say it because it's that, you know, proto prototypical guy who has to be dumb and stupid yes. and just can't tell the woman how he feels. <laughs> and has to throw it back at her because he's the one, even though he's the one who got her into the situation. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yes, you can tell that it that what she's going through weighs on him. Yes. And he's lashing out at her because of the way he feels about letting this happen and things yes. like that. So, so it, yes, it's a very interesting and almost understated role, as you mentioned. Like he's, when he shows up, he kind of shows up. You're like, hey, there he is. Look at that handsome devil. And then yeah. where'd he go? He just, he just fell into the background. It's yeah. very interesting. No, I think it's fascinating because if you, like Cary Grant is a Michael Friday. He is the, I can't do a Cary Grant. I was trying before and I was like, oh, this is not going to work. It's, you know, Cary Grant, that voice. And there's a way he kind of pulls back, which is absolutely fascinating. And then Ingrid Bergman can just step into the light and go, I'm a movie star, which she does because she's very good at it. Um, but no, I mean, essentially the plot of Notorious, which will also be the plot of Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that a, um, forgot how much actually they hit beat for beat in MI2. I was just like, oh, you are just doing Notorious right now with the touches of a few other Hitchcocks. Um, You're right. It is essentially Cary Grant. I think he's FBI. I don't think they state it's um, actual is a CS uh, the Central Intelligence Bureau, uh, whatever it. I can't remember the acronym. Sorry, my mind's blanking. Yeah, everyone's That's screaming right. at me because I think that was still just starting to get formed because this is 1946. So I think they state that he might be FBI, or no, it doesn't say. Um, essentially, he's a spy and he's recruited um, Ingrid Bergman, whose father was a convicted Nazi. Um, and of war crimes and it, it kind of says oh we need your help down in brazil only to find out that he has to essentially um force him to prostitution to be with this suspected nazi to get figure out what's going on in his house and all this kind of thing so it's got one of those amazing kind of pre-code movies where they're where sex is kind of the main issue but they're just not they're just talking around it and you're just sort of watching the action kind of play out but that is the essential story of that so which is why that Cary Grant's constantly throwing back at Ingrid Bergman well you said you'd do this and you you said you'd prostitute yourself out and it's kind of like well you were the one who got me into this situation why how is this my fault um but because it's <laughs> Ingrid, that's what I would be saying but it's Ingrid Bergman so she's much more graceful about it and <laughs> is just kind of every time she's on screen she's got this halo of just like aura movie star just like pointing at her and and for us and arrows <laughs> Oh, that, yeah, totally. Every time she shows up, like I know we jokingly say like it lights up a screen, but yeah, you know, like from the moment you first see her at the dinner party, you know, and everything, and he's there, and we you know, and she's just kind of playful, but at the same time, she's like, if hey, if this happens, it happens. I don't care. She's not looking for anything. And it just so happens that both of these two amazing looking people just fall for each other. And they're both clearly head over heels. It's just one of them's willing to say it. The other one isn't. The other one was set out to use this person to infiltrate and get information. And she's willing to do that. But which is also, I really was, I was happy at how, how much strength they gave her as a character yes. back in the 1940s. Because, you know, not to speak ill of the past, but we know that 
you know, it, it hasn't always been on those those terms. So watching this, I was like, oh, this is really nice to see a strong female character without them constantly going, you're super strong, lady, or she's not like in your face loud and you know like they used to show when somebody was trying when they were trying to get their, their point across it was very understated and i appreciate that more than anything because i don't know about you i hate when somebody tries to beat their message over my head yes i'd rather it just be just write a strong powerful character let the actor or actress do what they need to do to bring that character to life we will get what you're trying to say without you having to tell me over and over and over and over and over again well, that's kind of what Hitchcock does. I mean, he's very good at telegraphing what he wants the audience to know. And he was also very good at letting, he didn't want to leave anyone behind in the theater. Like he knew 90% would get the visual cues, but then he'd go, no, I need to say something just, but he wasn't, but this, but he's also knows, um, well, he notoriously hated actors. Like he just thought they were props, but <laughs> <laughs> then when he was obsessed with them, like he was with Ingrid Bergman um, and then every single other one of his actresses. <laughs> We'll get into that. But he does this amazing thing where it kind of works for the movie because she is such a strong character. She's a character that has no agency, but within that, she's able to rise and gain her own agency within that until Cary Grant does have to save her. But that's because it's 1946 and I'm, I love this movie to death and I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, mm -hmm. But it is, it, yeah, but because it's Ingrid Bergman, she's able to give this character the strength that she needs to be this strong kind of straight back kind of character. And I love her introduction at the party. She's wearing this amazing pirate outfit. Edith Head did the costuming and it's like, oh God, Edith Head, I love you so much. Um, <laughs> he did, oh my God, every time you see like a gorgeous dress in the 40s and 50s, I'm like, yeah, Edith Head most likely did that. Yeah, she did. And she's just drunk. And I love the scene when um, she goes, let's go for a drive. And Terry Grant's like, how much have you drunk? She's like, I'm fine. And she's just driving and, Swerving all over. And that's again kind of this way that um, Alfred Hitchcock creates these really simple ways of creating tension is that you're like, are they going to crash right now? And he constantly does that through the movies. It's just this little thing, and she's just got hair in her eyes and swerving. The cop's there. She's like, ah, screw the cop. He's like, yeah, you may want to stop. Like, let's be sensible. And you can kind of tell he's starting to fall for her, but she's just like this woman who is in pain. Like, she's she's kind of messy in the only way that Ingrid Bergman can be kind of messy, which was with poise. But you kind of realize at the beginning that this is a woman who is in kind of a lot of pain right now. And what Carrie Grant is up to may not be on the level because you're just like, this, leave this, this woman needs space. <laughs> this woman does not need to be taken down to Brazil right now, but um, she is, she does. And then the rest of the movie happens, but you just fall in love with her instantly. Yeah, she's she's just it's like you said, I was very shocked to see just playing drunk, openly drunk and then driving. I, I like the little scene of of her swerving and then him having his hand there ready to just grab the wheel in yeah. case just to keep yeah. them both safe. But also knowing that eh, she's she's all over the place, but she's got this still. And then I like that even after he kind of winks at the officer, she's smart enough to look at him and go, wait a minute something's a up cop. here i get you're, it now, yeah, yeah you're a cop what's happening here and she calls him out like point blank to his face and i like it there there's no like you know dancing around the bush she's like she, she's just gonna call it like she sees it and um and it just sets up a, a very emotional kind of i like their romance it seems quick but at the same time if you've ever 
gone on a great date with that person that was meant to be, man, when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Especially <laughs> if that person takes you to uh, Rio, de, Rio de Janeiro. I cannot speak to that. Um, <laughs> for your first date, you fall in love pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that Angie didn't watch us with me because I'm like, hey, remember when I walked you to the diner on our college campus because we couldn't have cars, so we couldn't go anywhere <laughs> all those years ago? I'm like, don't, this is not what happens. <laughs> yeah, no, Only remember, Gary Grant can get away with this, not yes, me. Yes, <laughs> not me. No, just remember how my first date with Dan. Uh, skeezy pub. <laughs> yeah, hey, skeezy pub know. can be a great time, though. Skeezy it is. It probably it, led to some really good conversation. Absolutely. Um, but the man, those, those, <laughs> that bar was still open and it, they revamped it. The, this wasn't no longer a sticky. I'm like, going, oh, I don't know how they got off that 30 year gunk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so there, because that scene on the balcony, when they kind of have that, that romantic moment, um, it is so well done. Apparently, it was really like hard to, to shoot because Hitchcock was trying to do um the background them kissing and also it's that thing of in the haze code you could you couldn't do a kiss longer than 30 seconds i mean the haze code mm. was insane in terms of what you could show what you couldn't show and just the way they got around it, it's always amazing so that's why they're kind of kissing talking kissing talking and they're kind of whispering to each other and it's to kind of again oh, to create that tension of oh they're falling in love and they're kind of conspiring already um, and you already know that they're there for something else. Yeah, it just, Hitchcock is a really good director, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super good. Um, that makes uh, so much more sense with the, the little pecks and kisses, but I almost appreciate those more because, mm. you know, a big makeout scene doesn't really show two characters that are bouncing back and forth, yeah. you know. And, and I, I like the little, the little pecks and kisses and... Like, like I said, as they're talking, like he's trying to fumble with the door while she's still kissing on him. And then he's like, screw it. I don't care about the door. I'm kissing you. And then it's just back and forth. And it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's, for lack of a better term, it's just very sweet and very, you know, fun. And yeah. in a movie like this, you kind of need that because it goes in a pretty, pretty dark place. Yeah. Cause you have to believe that these two fall in love instantly, which, um, a lot of, I don't know, people in the 1940s and 50s got married quick. I don't know. They just kind of went, this is it. And you're like, you want to think about this for five minutes? Oh, okay, all right. Um, but it was, so you have to believe that. The, so when he gets the news that say, oh, you have to get her back into an old relationship with uh, maybe the politest Nazi, or and the most um, <laughs> aggressive Nazi ever put to film with Claude Rains. Oh, um, <laughs> just, man, this guy they could write numerous papers about people that act like this. <laughs> oh my god, like it was Ooh. just yeah, because there's a certain way Nazis are portrayed on screen, and then there's Claude Rains. So she's got to get back into this old relationship, and he's this kind of runs a salon for Nazis, I guess. Like, Hitchcock casted the best evil faces. And when you're in that house, you're like, yep, 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 yep. This is all, this is all nasty faces. I do not trust any of them. Even the butler, I was like, no, no, no. You're a Nazi butler. <laughs> Sorry. I just played was just like going, yep, these are all my dad's friends and they've all got Nazi faces. God damn it. Oh, man. And even like, you know, the woman playing Claude, uh, Claude, Claude Rain's mother, um oh yeah even she i'm like boy could there be a more you know like just stern 
like that's the face that gives birth to a Nazi. I hate to say it, like just the way she played it. It was perfect. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent casting. Excellent casting. Uh, Leopoldine Kinstant. I can't pronounce her name. I think it was German. She was. But yeah, um, she was so good. And yeah, you're just watching this going, oh, Hitchcock making a movie about mother issues. Um, yeah, I can <laughs> see that was a theme in his career. <laughs> that and food keeps coming, I swear. Like if you watch a whole bunch of Hitchcock, you realize, oh, mother issues come up a lot before a very significant mother issue movie. And food as well. Like when you're watching Psycho and he's like, hey, have some like ham sandwiches and milk. I'm like, that is... Is that your pickup line, the whole thing? Like, what is happening? You've got this very passive-aggressive man with a very stroppy mother. Um, he's a Nazi, and he, but he's got this kind of veneer of I'm upper class, and and he's so passive-aggressive. Like, he won't because basically, um, unlike when we talk about Mission Impossible, when Thaddy Newman and Tom Cruise can talk through earpieces, and because it's it's to the year two thousand. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman keep having to meet and keep getting caught by Claude Rains. <laughs> something going on. It's like, hmm, this very attractive tall man, Cary Grant, keeps hitting on my uh, my now wife. Um, some, mm, <laughs> something's going on. And they kind of have to keep telling these lies, which is, get, I mean, when they're actually caught kissing in the wine cellar, um, and they go, oh, he kissed me. I had nothing to do with it. I was like, Pat, I'm like, going, no, you weren't. He could see no, <laughs> just, and it just what, realized, it guys, just, and, yeah. oh, I'm just, and he just keeps <laughs> seemingly accepting it. I'm like, no, oh my God, dude, you know, you know, <laughs> from the get-go. <laughs> now, did I catch correctly that she previously had a, a relationship with him? Yes. Or did I miss, okay, good. Oh, no, okay. it wasn't, I've it won- no, it wasn't necessarily a relationship, but they, he always had a thing. They knew her. each other. They knew each other. Yes, okay. Yeah, but I don't think she'd ever yep. said yes before. It wasn't like Mission Impossible 2 when it was an actual affair. I think it was more, right. um, he kept trying to hit on her and she was like, mm, you're way too passive aggressive and Nazi. Um, and then she finally, the whole thing was that she comes back into his life and goes, hello, but he instantly clocks, oh, you're with this very charming Cary Grant character. Um, and you seem to be very close, and she's like, "Yeah, he keeps annoying me." And like, he's like, mm, "I annoyed you. You didn't yeah. respond to me like that." <laughs> <laughs> of all people, he said, "Trust me, I know what annoys people. I know, yes. and you're not putting off the vibe that most people do when they look at me. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> Pretty much, I think. I think that is it." <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts was seeing whenever they, because that is incredibly tension build. All the different yeah. times where there's like a part of me watching, I'm like don't be so damn obvious Cary Grant you know you're gonna get her in trouble like stop this but they just can't help it each other they're around each other fireworks go off like the whole the whole room stands still and it's just them and every time they get closer and closer I'm like this little weasel's gonna come in there and find you because he just he's got this passive aggressive detector going off where he's yes. like wait a minute something's happening something's happening and, and this and is something i can s- be passive aggressive about later yes <laughs> i can i can go stand in the corner of the room and glare um i'm, I'm mocking him can glare he, oh no claude rains is one of my favorite actors full stop so he's doing this well but i love mocking him for this role because it's just like this man is so passive aggressive um and it's just like i mean even when he finds out that Ingrid Bergman, in fact, is spying on him, the way they deal with it is to poison her. It's not even like a confrontation. 
I was like, he gets it from his mom. Like, what happened to this guy's dad? Like, <laughs> I know. I'm going to poison this woman slowly over a course of weeks so I do not have to have that awkward conversation of, so you married me to spy on me. Be so much easier. <laughs> so much easier. But yeah, I mean, we're sort of watching this. I sort of was going, wow, movie stars. I think they, I don't know if they were trained in this or this was just the style. I think it's probably the style of acting at the time but they were trained to be movie stars and to fall in love on screen because I, I believe it when Cary Grant and Rick Bergman look at each other, I'm like, yeah, two hot people falling in love right now. Even in something like Casablanca, when you see uh, Humphrey Bogart, who was a very weird shaped small man, still in that suit, in that hat, looking at Ingrid Bergman, they're looking at each other. I'm like, oh no, you two are absolutely in love. Like that is what is happening. And Rick uh, is the coolest man on the planet and Edward Berman's the most amazing woman on the planet. And this is all just coming together. And it's the same with this movie. As soon as they do the lighting and Edward Bergman is a professional fallen lover, she just knows how to turn on that face. And it's, there's a magic to it that I don't think we're in that trend of at the moment. So every time I see it in a modern movie, I get so excited. It was like, um, sorry, I'm very obsessed with Guardians of the Galaxy 3 at the moment, but going back to watching the first one when you have Gamora and um, Peter Quill um, and he's putting on the headphones of the mic and they don't, I can't remember what the song, but they just kind of look, and the way they look at each other, I'm like, oh yeah, two fictional characters, beautiful people just kind of falling in love on, on screen. And it doesn't, they don't, do that as much anymore and it's it's not even um the fact that there's because it's quite frankly not enough sex on film but it's kind of just the fact that everything's becoming a little bit sexless that you don't have that tension anymore mm -hmm. yeah i would totally agree there's uh there's few like i don't want to keep going to the john wick well but that's one of the things i like about the the first one is those scenes the few uh flashbacks of you know john wick and his wife they're like openly out in public, like necking, making yeah. out. Like he's I'm like, I'm like, no, that's, I, yes, that's when you're love somebody or when you're with somebody, you don't care about what's happening around you sometimes. And you, you, you're right. So many movies don't do that. But I mean, the next one we talk about is, is two absolutely gorgeous people and I buy it and we'll get there. At, but I like that. I like one too. Not as much as this, of course. Because, no, I, I was um, actually comparing it going, I have a whole theory of Tom Cruise, but we'll get into it because we're going to have big we Tom will get Cruise conversation. It. Yeah. <laughs> we, we most certainly will. One of the things I couldn't get over watching this is I, as you know, and some of the people who listen who follow me know, I'm a huge comic book nerd. And I don't know if you knew, but um, Cary Grant was kind of the archetype that uh, David. Um, uh, Maggie Kelly, the artist for Batman Year One. So when you oh. see in the in the actual comic book, when you're flipping through, there's images of Bruce Wayne. He's got the Cary Grant hair. He's got the jawline. He does And there's too. like sketches. Yeah. And there's so I'm sitting there watching it. I was and I'm just going, well, now I just want Cary Grant as Batman in a movie that was you know back in the 50s or 60s or 70s. It would be fan. It'd be fantastic. All so. I can think. All I can think of was Cary Grant in the Batman suit doing what he does in um with Kilgore Friday get out <laughs> that's all he does get out <laughs> I just picture him coming in like like you know I'm Batman like just, just getting that Cary Grant Batman. voice it's just <laughs> <laughs> give me a cocktail um as I said I can't do Cary Grant 
um, one of the should be who should be one of the most easy impersonations to do because he's got like Archie Roach, Archie Leach. Um, had he created such a voice that it was instantly recognizable that, um, yeah, because Cary Grant was almost another person from he was another persona, which, um, I, sure. I yeah, um, actually, much like Tom Cruise, I think, does as well. Like, I think he puts on a Tom Cruise character, um, but we'll get into oh. it. He yeah. does, he does, yeah. Um, it is so it's it, yeah, it's just fascinating, just the way that I mean watching this time it was the blocking that really kind of got me because I think you sort of mentioned this is a non-act uh, when you were talking about watching Hitchcock which was a non-action action movie and it is but the way Hitchcock does suspense is literally just by how he blocks the scene especially when they're walking up and down down the stairs in Claude Rains's house how it takes either ages or really quick to go up those stairs each kind of there's a different time limit or time sequence of doing that and just the way um, Ingrid Bergman's looking in every single wardrobe because she's trying to decide, well, she's trying to find a specific closet, but she's using the excuse that she doesn't like the closet in her room. So she's trying to find a room that has a better closet. So she's just looking in all of them. Um, all, ki- all that, the very, you see the um, keyhole that they need and it has those phrases on it with the key. And so that's the key they need. And so she has to try and steal it. Um, it's just literally... Um, yeah, it's just literally all that, but that is kind of the action of the movie. As I said, this this ends in this poisoning. It doesn't end in a big, like, even in North by Northwest, which would be uh, over 10 years later when he would have Cary Grant scaling um, Mount Rushmore in much more of a big, more of an action beat. This is very simple, but it does have an action beat to it, even though it's a lot of people talking in rooms. Yeah, my... My favorite scene that I thought the what was built some of the best tension was when they're down in the wine cellar, as we had talked about, when they get caught kissing. But before yeah. that, when the bottle breaks and he's slowly picking up the sand and then they keep cutting back and forth between uh, Claude, Claude Rains walking and then reaching in his pocket and checking and realizing the key's missing and then kind of playing on that. But then it quickly pans back and then they're still scooping up the sand and I was just like, come on, scoop it up, scoop it up. Don't get caught. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I love, I, for some reason, if this is my favorite Hitchcock, I always forget this is about a nuclear, um, not bomb, but there's a nuclear scientist making something nuclear that he should not be, be making. Cause all the Americans thought, no, wait, we got all the Nazi scientists to make our nuclear bomb. Who's this guy? Um, <laughs> All um, of these nuclear forget. scientists out making stuff they shouldn't be making. It's always the crux of most of our movies. <laughs> yes, and it can fit in a wine bottle, which is why they need to find a wine bottle. Um, and and so they're basically replacing, yeah, it's it's this whole thing of we need to take the wine bottle, add the contents, and then replace it so they think it's still the nuclear. They're being very vague about it, I guess, and because it's 1946, there's already been two nuclear bombs set off, so it's on everyone's mind. And mm-hmm. I love how Hitchcock's like, and we're not going to go really into the science of it. I just need to say a few words, and you'll know what I mean. So, but we don't need to actually... It's very much kind of like the virus in, in my toe. We'll just say if you think you know exactly what. <laughs> it's not good. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> exactly. Bad things will happen. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's just... Yeah, but everyone is really good. I actually really love the scene where 
because Cary Grant has just been digging at Ingrid Bird this whole time of like, oh, you're in a relationship with him. Are you falling in love with it? She's, he's really just throwing like that typical scene in an 80s movie where, um, or 70s movie where someone's dating a sex worker and then they have an argument and the first thing the guy does is call her a whore. Like it's to mm. throw it back at her. Um, he does kind of keeps doing the same thing, but as soon as someone else suggests it, it's this amazing thing where Cary Grant just kind of stands back up, is full Cary Grant, and sort of does this amazing thing about, oh, yes, he tells, because he sort of says, what well, says everything about her character that she would do this, even though we wanted her to do this. Um, and he goes, oh, yes, yes, you can tell that a lot about her character, unlike your wives who are, you know, very safe and playing bridge in Washington, basically <laughs> saying, she's the one putting herself in danger. You're digging at her. Um, and whether your wives don't have adjust, not even, and and just the way he sort of, they ask, tell him to apologize, because, oh, yes, I apologize. And you can tell he does not mean it. And it's just those those tiny moments where Cary Grant just comes into focus again. Oh, there he is. And he's full Cary Grant. And then he'll go back into the shadows. It's just like, yep, this uh, God, these those two knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock didn't allow them much space into into move. Like you'll notice in a lot of Hitchcock movies, they don't move around a lot. No, they hit their mark, they set the lines exactly the way he wanted them to. And if they didn't, they got in trouble. Yeah, and this one there's there's not a lot of space to move in and no. in, in general either. You're right. He puts them in very claustrophobic areas. Yes. Um like when you're when you're trying when you're at a dinner party, you have to kind of zoom in and focus on just them two. And they're it's almost uncomfortably close where I'm like, how in the hell could Alex not figure it out? Like there there's I've been at various parties. I don't even stand that close. Sometimes I don't even stand that close to my wife to talk because we're just, or if I like Emma, she'll be like, what are you doing? Get Step back. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, just, yeah, no, it's it's really weird. Like as soon as a customer like is running, I'm like, I back away. And sometimes if they're a close talker, they'll move, move I'm like, no, no, just, <laughs> but no, they are right up in each other's business, which is why it looks like everyone's kind of whispering in each other's ear. It's this weird kind of spy thing. It's, it sounds when you're describing it, it sounds really weird, like you know, because people are walking up and down stairs, but that staircase becomes so important to the rhythm of the of the movie. Um, we're in the house, they're going, and especially that final scene when you have Cary Grant just carrying Igman Bourbon down the stairs, which is such a romantic kind of oh, sequence. That was that was wonderful, and I like that he won't carry her because he, he knows she's strong enough to walk herself, so yeah. he's like, You can do it, keep oh, walking, yeah, yeah. And oh, it, she's. Yeah, he's like helping her down. He's got yeah. her one. Yeah, but it still gives her character urgency and still gives her character power, even when she's quote unquote powerless. And I like how you said earlier, like, yeah, he had to save the day. But ultimately, there's a part of me that was like, well, Ingrid Bergman's character knew this was going to happen. So she allowed it. So therefore, this is how Andy internalizes things and goes, she's still in control of everything that's happening. She's like, I hate to say it, she's willingly allowing herself to get poisoned. Like when she figures it out, she stops it. But even then she's like, I'm not going to sacrifice all the hard work that we've done. I'm not going to turn, you know, I'd rather suffer than have them find out that you're the, you're the one who's, you know, behind all of this. And so even when she's suffering, she's still got, you know, her own power and urgency there. And I love it. It's great. No, yeah. I always have this image of her being carried, but right. He's actually helping her down the stairs. Like she's walking. So she's still walking out on her two feet and it does give her that last bit of agency that I think a lot of 
1940s don't always give gave their actresses but in saying that 1940s was full of strong stroppy actresses Betty Davis, Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman um I'm blanking on so many of them right now um I'm sorry Daniel from Cobwebs (laughs) but no there was there was a lot of it and they were um John John Crawford it was these women who kind of knew their own power even though they were in a studio system that dictated we tell you where to go what movie to be in how to dress what your persona is going to be we train you we do all do all this and yet you still get um actors like Ingrid Bergman who knew how to call the shots and I always find that fascinating because Hitchcock had this reputation of becoming obsessed with his leading ladies um Grace Kelly was one Ingrid Bergman was one um and I think he almost got into a thing where he, as you can see his career like get on, he stopped working with bigger and bigger names and tried to create names so he could have more control over them. So you get to Tippy Hedron, which is such a tragic story. Um, but yeah, but you can see the camera's in love with Ingrid Bergman. Like it's like watching Kill Bill and realizing, oh, is Quentin Tarantino a little in love with Emma Thurman? Not surprised, but you can tell in this movie. <laughs> Well, and also, like you mentioned, all those amazing actresses, it doesn't matter what the studio wanted from them when the camera was on them. Everybody saw how amazing they were and how confident and strong they were. So give them a minor role. They're still going to knock it out of the park and make it one of the most memorable things you've seen. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just the visual language some, is far supersedes what they're saying at times, even if you're given terrible dialogue these actresses are so good that you're just, we just remember them being, you know, they're the, they're the star. They're equal with everybody else. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ingrid Bergman knew that she was a star and you had to behave like one on screen and kind of knew what her moments were like on the balcony. Um, when she kind of is about to collapse from being poisoned a bit too much, she's kind of just, you can just tell that she kind of, knows her moments and even with Cary Grant when she's first started to get sick and he goes have you been drinking again and it's like Jesus Christ Cary Grant it's like what's going on that's his first thing it's because um he's so angry with her but he's also concerned he's like oh is this getting a bit I think he's sort of getting is this a bit getting a bit too much for you but at the same time it's the first thing you've been drinking again it's like no no it's just a flu um and she doesn't want to tell him that she's getting sick because oh that the poison's happening because as soon as she does he'll pull her out so it's Mm -hmm. There's really kind of, everyone's kind of playing a game with each other, even Grant and Bergman. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I like when she doesn't show up the first day and then they keep doing the little montage of him on different days waiting for her yeah. at their little spot. And then he goes to his superiors and he's like, it's been five days, something's up. And then he brings up the fact that he, and because his superior goes, well, didn't you say she smelled like she was drinking? And he's like, that's not her, obviously. So again, we get to see those moments. Like it's almost like when we have a close friendship and you know a lot of history with that person, you have inside jokes that you can feel, you can kind of joke with each other. But if somebody else comes in and does that, yes. I'm like, hey, this is my friend. Wait a minute, you don't get to do that. I, you know. And I love how it just ends with them leaving. It doesn't actually resolve um, anything afterward. There's no kind of big villain death. There's no kind of anything else. They just walk out the door. But they allude to a lot of it. That is, oh yeah, they allude. The but yeah, where, where they're walking out and walking down the stairs is excellent scene because yes. you got you got Cary Grant with his hand in his pocket pretending maybe he's got a gun. I don't know. Excuse me. Sorry. 
Um, and then uh, as they're walking, he's, you know, kind of helping um, uh, Ingrid Bergman's character walk. You have uh, Alex and you have Alex's mother and Alex's mother is like trying to keep it. She goes, you know what they did to your father? Like, mm. you know, they found out he was this and they killed him. And then as they're walking down, like Alex is still his Weasley little passive aggressive self. And he's like not answering and Carrie, you know, Carrie Grant's like, I would, you know, you should ask him if, you know, basically just kind of goading him on. And then I like when they get in the, in the car, he just goes, let me, let me go to the hospital with you. I don't think so. It just rolls mm -hmm. up the window. And then the guy's like, he took the phone out of the room. How'd they call the hospital? And I was like, mm -hmm. Alex is going to get it, but we don't see it. So there isn't that, but it's there. And I think you, we as, as viewers know what's coming. And I love that Alfred Hitchcock doesn't give it to us. Yes. And it's, you know, it, I'm not going to compare the two, but it's kind of like the thing and how that ends when you're left to think like, okay, there's five different ways that it could end, but the ending they gave us is much better than in my head. If any of those other ones play out. We're just going to sit here for a while. You know, mm -hmm. you're right. It's just, it gives you these options. You know, it's not going to end well for Alex and his mother and everyone in that house. Like they've got enough evidence they've already know that the poison curse so something's already fishy's happening so whether however it plays out alex is going going down um but he's still weasley to the end i love it he oh god claude reigns does this role so well that you just like hate him so much <laughs> when they call alex and they say alex i think you should come in here and talk to us like his slow weasley turn when he's just like you can almost see like the <laughs> the big swallow like crap they found me out but he's yeah. like and then he just saunters in because he still has to put on the the show of who alex is to the other nazis and i'm just like that was a great way to end this and what if i mean there's not a bad performance in this movie i it mean it really isn't i mean it's there's there's yeah yeah, it's got romance, it's got tension, it's got this kind of weird action, even though it's not action, it's just tension that sort of, you get the same feeling when you're watching a really great action movie that's got a lot of tension, even though it doesn't have what we would call those elements in it. It's almost the absence of that that makes it more tense. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, a, uh, the Taurus is so great. I mean, it's Cary Grant giving a different kind of performance. He's not putting on his charm, but yet he's still the most charming man in the room, which I don't know how he did that. Edgar Bergman is an angel. She is just light personified, just the way she's lit. you just like, oh, so this is a, an immortal woman who's forever beautiful. And <laughs> yeah, th this is what's happening. <laughs> the camera loves these people, even. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're right. Like there's, in my, my mind, there's, you know, 40s era attire and dresses and man, his suit is tailored wonderfully like it came right out of a bond movie like he he looks as good in a suit as anybody and her dresses like you mentioned those they're elegant they're not overly revealing but they're also yeah. not like all covered up like she's able to be an expressive beautiful woman who knows like I look good and yeah. I can wear this and I'm going to wear this with more flair and fashion than anybody else has ever worn this so yes no, it is, um, it is just a really great movie. I mean, it is, even if you think you don't love black and white movies, watch this, uh, Russian Taurus, watch Casablanca, and you go, oh, those are good. Hitchcock made so much of what the language of cinema is. Like, he kind of just was some of the first, one of the first guys to do it. And then it's just, 
kind of carried on. So, um, no, I, I love this movie and I'm glad you loved it as well because this was a first watch for you. It was most certainly a first watch and it will not be the last watch because I <laughs> I will go back and watch this quite a bit. I really like this. It's a, This is one I could see myself doing an annual rewatch, you know, or something when it comes up because it's just like, um, yeah, I just, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. So yeah. thank Hitchcock you. Hitchcock does that. It. Yes, Hitchcock does that too. You don't think you're going to like a Hitchcock movie as much as you think you do. You watch it, you're like, is this the greatest movie ever made? I think this might be the greatest movie, the greatest movie ever made. Or then you watch something else later and you're like, oh, they're just basically trying to do Hitchcock now. <laughs> yeah, this is what, it, yeah, oh, okay. I see what they're doing. Yeah, Hitchcock oh. became a genre. Oh, I see. Um, hmm. Speaking of movies that are just doing a very different way, because we're this movie, the next movie is so, we're, it's, you can't take it away from him. You good to go on to Ooh. Mission Impossible 2? I am ready to go on whenever you want to. Yep. Okay. So going on to a movie that is absolutely doing notorious, but we are dealing with another maestro and he is always going to put his stamp on. He's also Hitchcock influenced. Woo. Uh, so as a the curtains are opening, uh, biggest screen we can possibly watch this on because it deserves it. And that is, of course, Mission Impossible 2. Andy, what is going to be your trailer? Oh, I went back and forth a lot on this one, even more so than Notorious, because I was like, okay, do I go with, like, you know, Wu's early Hollywood films of, like, kind of, do I go with Broken Arrow, because there's the kind of the nuclear element in that, or Hard Target, but I, I'm i going to go back even further, and I'm not even going with a Wu movie, but one that's more of a kind of a spiritual prequel in terms of similarities and i'm going with michael bay's the rock secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you there's a hostage situation on alcatraz hostage 81 tourist the rock's a tourist attraction the one you train to defend you becomes your greatest threat a battery of vx gas rockets is presently deployed to deliver a highly lethal strike on the population of the san francisco bay area and the one you abandon becomes your only hope you go talk to him me yeah hiya i'm an agent with the uh, F fbi i'm stanley goodspeed but of course you are at least he got his name right now all that stands between a city and a disaster. The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's where you're coming with us. Is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. Fortunately, some things you never forget. But don't worry. It'll all come back to me. From Don Simpson and Jerry Brooke. There, there's another group of, of trained expert killers who are trying to use a some sort of weird uh, disease weapon to get money and take control. Now, granted, they're doing it for different reasons, but they're still trying to take over. So for me... That's still my top Michael Bay movie, so I'm going to go with The Rock. I think The Rock might be my top uh, Bay movie. I recently watched it a couple of times in the last couple of years and just kind of marveled at it because I always thought I wasn't the biggest Bay fan. Like, I think there are certain movies of his that can turn me off, which mm -hmm. the trans some of the Transformers movies and 
um, and kind of a few things like that. Like I know they have their fans. I just find them so ugly that I can't appreciate the other things he's doing. Um, it was a little bit like that for Bad Boys too. Like the action scenes are amazing, but there's this ugliness I just couldn't quite get my head around. Or I could get my head around, but I didn't want to get my head around, I should say. But The Rock, every time you watch it, you're like, oh, this is just a perfectly crafted action movie. This is what Big does. This is, the cast is amazing. Um, you feel for Ed Harris and what he's doing. Um, Sean Connery is just the coolest guy in the room and Nick Cage is having to learn how to be cool like Sean Connery. And it's it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, Sean Connery, I, I love the little play that this is his like last Bond movie. Cause yes. <laughs> um, and it's fun to think that even though we all know he's not that he's not James James Bond, but that's fine. Hmm. Um, but I, yeah, the, the action set pieces, I mean, the, uh, the Humvee and um, Ferrari chase oh, down the yes. streets of, you know, San, San Francisco, uh, San Francisco. Um, the, the military shootout in the bathroom with Michael, with Michael Bean as part of the head of the Navy SEALs and Ed Harris up above, you know, Will you give that order? I will not give that order. No. Oh my god! Oh, I love that. Scene. That like, is that scene so is, great. <laughs> I know, and the fact that this that it had, and I love the way that it plays, where somebody asks, it just it's one of those like, oh no, this could have been resolved without all this death, but just somebody slips and a rock falls, and then just a hail fire of bullets everywhere. But it's, I like it in the fact that it's not Michael Bay glamorizing anything like no. he normally does. It's mm. and it's actually Michael Bay at his most restrained, I find, which is still crazy because there's some insane action pieces, but everything's framed well, everything's shot well, performances are wonderful by everybody involved. And again, it's got that whole element of uh this biochemical weapon that could, you know, infect everybody and we're dealing with that. So No, I it kind of reminds me a lot of ambulance in a way of Michael Bay going back to basics. Um, mm -hmm. But when he's kind of focusing more on character than his bigger action set pieces, which I think he kind of went, oh, I can do this, this, and this, and characters kind of got forgotten. And Ambulance is like, well, I'm doing something a bit more stripped down, so we're going to go back to character. And that's The Rock. I mean, everyone kind of gets their moment. I mean, the scene of, I will not give that order is such an amazing sequence. Like, it's just like, oh, this is Pig Bay. That's Pig Bay for me, mm -hmm. is that is that sequence there in the Ferrari chase and Look, making San Francisco look amazing. Like it's just like, yeah, this, this is good. <laughs> oh, and there's great little moments of humor sprinkled throughout. Like I love the um uh the oh why am I drawing a blank? Oh my gosh, it the trolley driver when his trolley gets smashed. Oh he's yes! Like, he, he's just I love that he's so mad when he's just like, God damn it, this is my and he's just so angry. There's little moments of levity in it that make it great and uh Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery play off of each other so well. Um, they really do, really actually. Like, yeah, they, yeah, surprising. Like, and it, this is not like, not Nicholas Cage going full Nicholas Cage mm. either. Like, he's no. very restrained as well. Um, so yeah, it's just in my opinion, it's it's Bay's best. Um, I like what you said. Ambulance is that kind of spiritual successor, but I also think you know, uh, Thirteen Hours in terms of structure and film is kind of that same thing. It's very He's focusing in on these guys. It's less, it's less style and more substance. And I like when Bay gives us both. And I think The Rock is like the perfect encapsulation of both style and substance for him. 
No, it really is. And that's just a really thing director because Michael Bay is a visual action guy, much like Wu is. So I think that is, this is absolutely amazing trailer. And The Rock is, The Rock rules. I mean, The Rock is freaking amazing. Yeah, I went back and forth on um, my trailers as well, but I think I'm going to finally settle on another movie about a man coming to Sydney to sort some stuff out. And that is Brian Trenchard Smith's Man from Hong Kong. My country, Caroline, we have a sport. We take the giant praying mantis, put him in the wooden cage, and make him fight for his life with his own kind. I thought you would enjoy such a sport. You and Jack Walton in a wooden cage. He's a very dangerous man. George Lazenby is Jack Wilton. Gun runner, dope peddler, ruthless czar of international evil. I've never met a Chinese yet that didn't have a yellow streak. East meets West in a head-on clash with no holes barred. Golden Harvest, who made Bruce Lee a box office smash, have joined with Australia's action specialists to produce a death-defying spectacle that staggers the senses. The man from Hong Kong knows no rules. Also, actually, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu as well, because he actually uh, choreographed films, all the action sequences in this as much as I think mm. there's a bit of tension of who actually gets director credit, but it's, it's both. <laughs> Jimmy Wang Yu is a Hong Kong uh, police detective who has, I mean, this movie opens, which you should not be doing in anything at the moment, but it does uh, go onto Ayers Rock, but it does start with, start with Sammo Hung, who I thought was wearing a wig, but it's just his hair, um, having this <laughs> massive fight on Ayers Rock again. Never do that again. But they did that. Um, Israq is very, very sacred. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an amazing fight sequence. Um, oh, Samo <laughs> Hung just kicking people's ass and all these Australian guys just like trying to get him there. So you've got uh, Jimmy Wang Yu coming in and instead of investigating this thing, it's got um, George Lazenby as the best Bond villain that never was. Um, and it is... Uh, Hugh Keyes, uh, Byrne, and Roger Ward, who great two Australian exploitation actors who both were in Bad Max movies. Um, it is just this really cool, so much hang gliding, Andy. You have no idea. Just so many scenes of hang gliding over Sydney Harbour. Oh. Um, it's really fun. I mean, the action sequences are insane because you've got this whole Hong Kong kind of action with the Australian action, which wasn't really planned. So you were just going, oh, people are hurt. You're making this movie. Yeah. That, that guy who did the thing off the car, yeah, I, I, he's hurting. Um, <laughs> like, you watch anything from the, you're like, I, how did no one, like, I was watching Mad Max last night going, how did no one die making this? I, how? <laughs> it's, it seems like, yeah, I'm like, somebody must have, and they've just, they, they all have to keep it hush-hush. <laughs> yes, yeah, George Miller, one of our great directors, like, we're just going to keep these uh, few deaths quiet on, on uh, Road yeah. Warrior. Especially, oh my God, that final sequence with the tanker, Jesus Christ. But yeah, it is an amazing, amazing movie. It's really easy to see now. It's got an amazing theme song, um, so much hand gliding, um, some amazing stunt work, and some really great action sequences. So you've got the, I think it was Golden Harvest, or was it Shaw Brothers? I can't remember which one, 
I should look that up, but it's one of them coming down to make an Ozploitation movie. And it's got, yeah, really amazing car chases. It's just a really, really solid Ozploitation movie. Yeah. So um, that is going to um, be my trailer. I did look for you since I was also, uh, I, it's been a couple of years since I've, I've seen this, but it oh, is yeah. a Golden Harvest co-production. So you get Thank the you. cool boom, 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 boom. 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 <laughs> oh man, such a great, such a great uh, just logo theme that gets me ready. I'm like, I just expect martial arts goodness to follow. And like you mentioned, George, George Lazenby showing, I was like, dude, that's, you could have, that's could have been your, but like you could have had that much charisma as your bond. Like yeah. you could have, it's, you could it's have. definitely possible. <laughs> just like doing bows and uh, shooting apples off poor woman's heads and kind of things like that at parties. Like he's, yeah, I kind of wish he would have been a Bond villain after that. You're right. After this movie, like he's, I never even thought, I don't even think of him honestly in this movie because Jimmy Wang used so great in it too. Oh, he's but, so good, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh man, what, 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 what is it with all these former Bond that make such great villains? Because Timothy Dalton's villain in, you know, um, Hot Fuzz, er, uh, yeah, Hot Fuzz, but wonderful. One of, the, one, one of the greatest performances ever, him um, in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I... Oh my God! When, sorry, just to go off on a quick tangent, I have never laughed harder at a when he gets impaled on the thing and he's it just really like, "It's really hurt." <laughs> oh, one of the greatest oh, moments of just him standing next to like he's got all these like employee of the months of himself by the supermarket. He's just standing. Oh my God, he is just so good. He steals that movie. How much fun he's having when yes. he's slashing and slashing prices every day. Every day. <laughs> it's um oh, it almost felt like his comeback in a way like we'd forgotten about the the, the Daltonator and he came back in hot fuzz and just reminded us reminded everyone how great he was yep 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 we um, got that and then he was in doctor who uh you know yeah. so if you can put you, you you show up in doctor who i'm gonna be a, i'm gonna i'm even more more of a fan if yes. that's possible oh yeah <laughs> i just uh, i i dip in and out of who a lot but it is always whenever I go in like even the final um thing when the last transition thing and you have the guy who's playing the master being rescued and dancing to rescue mm -hmm. um I was just delighted sorry to go off on a further tangent I yeah. am incredibly excited about this next generation of Doctor Who coming in I think just having the creative team behind it yes. uh the fact that it looks like they're embracing what made Doctor Who so successful for all these years and you know I, I don't like to speak you know a lot of ne uh negativity as we know but just the, the you know Chris Chris Chibnall was not the right showrunner for Doctor Who and no. he's an excellent writer he's written some of my favorite Doctor Who episodes you know but he's just it's just the wrong fit for that franchise and I think going back to the to the people that made it what it was and it's, yeah, so, it's hype, uh, yeah will be will be wonderful and i'm really excited about this new actor he's been great in that what that show sex ed on yes uh, netflix yeah. and i've seen him in a few other things but i i like where they're taking it i like the pictures i've seen if i get more 60s and 70s doctor who and awesome costumes going it to looks parties, very 60s me yeah yeah yep. no, i'm excited so. yeah because i'm a notorious dipper in and out it like if there's like not a who that i love i will just kind of ah, i'll just wait to the next one um but no i i am excited so this is yeah. gonna be this is gonna be good with that <laughs> we're in tangent might as well talk about <laughs> bring it back around to mission impossible 2. 
Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Sorry I barged in on your vacation. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't quite know where to begin. Do you know me? No. Should I? She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man and lie to him, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Welcome to Australia, mate. This ain't funny. The mother of all nightmares is on the loose. I don't think I can do it. I mean, it'll be difficult. Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. I'm going to do a segue for that because Tom Cruise looks exactly the same that he does now. So maybe he is just a who. <laughs> he doesn't age. He's, he's, he's got his own TARDIS on the back that's got exactly. this ice tub in it that he just sits in to keep his body from, from aging at all. <laughs> it's a weird Scientology thing. I'm just like going, okay, first Mission Impossible, you look like a baby. Now you just look, look like Tom Cruise. And it's been 20 plus years. Man looks exactly the same. Oh, it's ridiculous. The only thing that that grows is number one, his his hair looks phenomenal. And yeah. there's a part of me that thinks John Woo is like, we need your hair a little bit longer. So when all these slow motion scenes, it whips around and has its own character almost. Because I mean, Tom so Tom Cruise has some great hair, but uh, so, so much, much hair, hair in this movie. So, so much. Hair. Oh my god, the hair whipping! I actually, I think I did actually go see this when it came out because I really did like the first uh, Mission mm -hmm. Impossible. Um, though I did not necessarily was connecting the dots of who John Woo was, um, because okay. all the advertising was around Bruce. Like I remember mm -hmm. him, like I remember having memories of um him when he's doing the rock climbing, that he was actually he was actually was doing the rock climbing, but they left out the fact that there were cables to keep the man yeah. from falling. Um they were pretty much saying, Oh no, he did that just free. I'm like, how? What? Um, which he did do a little bit. Apparently, Wu was very nervous every single time Cruz went, oh, I could do that. But I'm assuming since you were such a big action guy, even back in 2000, you probably already knew who John Wu was. I bet that you were in the cinema very quickly looking forward to a new um, John Wu movie, more than a Mission Impossible movie. Gave me hard target, face off, um, hard boiled, a better tomorrow. Uh, all these movies, I was like, you got to be kidding me. So... <laughs> Yeah, I was there day one. Like I went opening day, I dragged some friends from work and uh, they all enjoyed it. Not to the level that I did, but yes, yeah, so I've been a supporter of this movie for, you know, since it came out. So what, we're out. Like if you were sort of going to say someone, in, oh, this is going to, um, there's going to be two, if you, after explaining all the comic book stuff, I think if you're going to say the two biggest um, franchises are stunt-based and, and one involves cars and family and the other one involves crews <laughs> and trying to kill himself in each movie. I don't think those things are kind of... Quick, can, they wouldn't have computed to me back in 2000, so I don't know how you just... <laughs> where we are. <laughs> I mean, we all loved him, but nobody knew how much we would continue to love that guy um, and just, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, you're right. 2000 was such an odd time where you're like, I mean, the year before, I, you know, or the two years before, we'd seen The Phantom Menace and The yes. Matrix, and now yes. we're at this, and it's like, I, I'm pretty sure Wu, I mean, from what I've read, Tom Cruise wanted 
show because um, Tom Cruise specifically wanted more action. Like I think he did, he, he did like the first one, but Brian De Palma made a Brian De Palma movie. And that is kind of why mm-hmm. I love the first Mission Impossible because I'm like, oh, this is a Brian De Palma movie. People sort of said they don't understand the plot. I'm like, yeah, because it's Brian De Palma being Brian De Palma. And the plot actually makes a lot of sense. It's just John Boyd being an asshole. It's super easy. It's just John, <laughs> yeah. John Boyd's character is the most annoying part of that movie. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he wanted more action. So he was just looking around and he was like, there's this guy, John Wu, who's still working in the States. I think this might have broken him and he went back to Hong Kong and made Red Cliff. Actually, I was noticing similarities between how it was shot with Red Cliff. I'm like, oh, there's a the space that you will get into it. Um, how Notorious is just all closed rooms. This is just all space. It's like characters are almost shouting at each other from across large distances. <laughs> Um, in this one but yeah it is it is still considered the weird stepchild of the franchise and even though I don't think if I did my ranking it would be that high because I am a weird one who really loves three like I love part three yeah so you and I are on the same page I like three a lot yeah I think it's still a really yeah I don't think there's a bad movie in the whole entire franchise because except for the last couple where it's all been Macquarie I think they got always interesting directors to come in and make their version of what a mission they thought a, a mission impossible movie could be. And it's a fascinating to see the evolution. And so when you get woo, you get a John Woo movie. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You can kind of see where the Hitchcock ends and the John Woo kind of begins because I'm guessing in sorry, I'm talking a lot. I'm guessing when, when John Woo was making his movies, he had planned the action sequences out first and then map everything around it. From what I've read and from what other people have said, that's kind of, yes, he was very action set set piece first. Yeah. And then, um, you know, weaved it together. I know there was, you know, most most Hong Kong movies, we know that they were sometimes even writing the script on the day they were filming. Yes. So, uh, but they'd been choreographing, had... yeah, but they had been working yep. the, yeah. Yep. Because um, I know they got Robert Town in to come in and do a rewrite of the script. And he, uh, from what I've read... He is the one who put all the Notorious stuff. He pretty much rewrote Notorious and then put it in. Mm-hmm. Though when okay. you read about John Woo, one of the influence he cites is Alfred Hitchcock. Like that was a big influence on him. Um, and you can kind of see that in the way he does build tension. Um, you know, uh, Jean-Pierre Marvel, which I did an episode with Larry with um, The Killer and uh, Le Samurai. So I almost forgot that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he's always one of those great amazing directors that's being very upfront. so i sort of always wonder was it a conversation between Wu and town that's it oh no i like hitchcock as well i'll just write notorious there but it works for the movie even if you can kind of see the plot which is something i've noticed with a lot of hong kong movies they'll do a little bit of plot action plot again action again and i don't mind that because that's just they can play with tone a little bit more in a hong kong movie than say an american movie where everything's a little bit more not streamlined but yeah True, true. And plus with the Hong Kong movies, it's like, you know, they were playing for, um, you know, certain types of years. So people, from what I've read, like, and heard, people didn't go to movies every week like we do. So that's yeah. why when you see in some Hong Kong movies, they, they just throw everything at it. There's humor yeah. in it. There's slapstick. There's love. There's romance. There's sadness. There's yes, death. Yes. Everything's in it. Because if you're going to see one movie, you're going to get it all. So, um, and, and this movie, pretty much, I mean, there's a lot in this. Like, there's <laughs> So it's much. not just action, action, action. There's a lot going on in it, and it's got a cool John Woo visual flair, as we'll get to. But mm. um, I, I want before you go 
we go any further, I do have to just do one impersonation for you as I'm getting more comfortable doing all these podcasts. I have to do more. Yes. But Mission, Mission Impossible 3, there hasn't been a more creepy villain than Philip Seymour Hoffman. And the my best absolute villain favorite, of the I've franchise. so many times to my, to my friends when I'd be like, I'm going to find her and I'm going to kill her. I'm going to find her. And he just like the way he says that to him, like, yes. I'm going to find her and I'm going to kill her. And he's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, I actually believe you're going to do that. No, like, that that's, that's why Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of the greatest actors. He, when he says, I'm going to find her and I'm going to kill her. Like, you're like, oh, he, no, he is. He's going to go over to Michelle Monaghan's house Yeesh. and do something bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Tom Cruise, you better, you better stop him like now. Cause he's yeah. going to go do that now. Yeah. So yeah, I love sorry, how, just had to get that part of Oh no. I love how in three, it's like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is so intense. He's more intense than any of the rest of the movie is. Like, I think everyone just went, yeah, we'll just let him do his thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're yeah. not going to bring him I mean, Even when Cruz is like, yeah, okay, I'll run and I'll get blown up and we'll get slammed against this, yeah. this car. It'll still be nothing compared to how intense Philip Seymour Hoffman exactly. seems. Are. <laughs> no, that is amazing. I was trying to do an impression of Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal. I swear he's just Hannibal in this movie. Oh, oh my God. It's I, 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 I always forget he's in it because he's just, Me too. He just <laughs> shows up, makes some asshole-ish comments, and then leaves. <laughs> like, he's just... Yeah, because um, this was the year before Hannibal, which... I mm-hmm. love Hannibal. Um, yeah, even all of it, even some of the weird plot things that happened in that movie. I'm like, yeah, just give it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he probably came and shot for a day or two days and I don't even think they were in Australia. I think they went to him. And just the way he sort of, um, yeah, just it just says asshole things and bookends the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, he's in this. Wait, is this, he's doing Hannibal right now. He's not actually... So is what is he just going off and like trotting around Italy, feeding Ray Liotta his brains, then comes back to Tom Cruise and says something more assholey, and then like Hannibal's like covers like an IFM like chief. What is happening, <laughs> Mister Hunt? And he's just like, yeah, Hunt. and like, yeah, maybe she was a true guy. Well, she's a woman. <laughs> That's what she does. Oh, it's like oh that my line. god! <laughs> I love when she's like, "Yeah, she's she's not trained for this. What to go to bed with a man and and sleep with him? She's a woman. She's got all the the training." Well, the training. She, I was she, like, we're quite, oh, whatever it is. what an asshole! Oh my god! <laughs> that is even back in two thousand. I was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> no, know what it means." But you just like when you see it, you're just like. Oh, oh, Anthony, we need a word. Sure, Miss, Mr. Hopkins, come on over here. So. <laughs> we, we need to have we need to have a word. Um, no, but he's he's I love him in this movie, but he is such an <laughs> It's like, yeah, like why would Cruz keep working with this guy at IMF? Like why? Like, no. I, he doesn't even give tell me a job him, yeah. be like, it's he, I got a feeling he just when Anthony Hopkins was in charge, he just constantly went on holiday, just did not tell him when they were coming. So he had to keep tracking him down. Right. And I also oh, I like when Cruz is, yeah, or when like Cruz is like, well, if I told you where I'm going, it wouldn't be much of a holiday. And then, but um, I, I do remember the opening when I saw this, this movie with, with, with friends and the whole theater gasping when he jumps from the one cliff to the other and just yes. hangs on. Like there, there was an audible gasp at our theater. Like I, I remember it to this day. And then there's, there's a scene later we'll get to where there was another, <gasps> where it sucked the oxygen out of the room and everybody just watched. And I don't know who does that as good as John Woo, personally. Yes. Uh, th- th- there are other excellent action directors, but 
at with what he was given and what he did uh that opening scene of him climbing is super great and it's not even i don't even think that's really the opening opening scene no. like the opening scene we get Duggery Scott doing his best. <laughs> oh man! Oh my God, Duggery Scott. Scott in this movie. Oh, ooh. um, ooh, that is uh, that is a oh, I don't know how I feel about his performance. No, because it, it literally opens with this um, that poor Russian doctor. Um, you know, we must to create the hero, we must create the ultimate villain, um, which does make no sense because I'm just like going, wait, you didn't have to create the virus in the first place. You could have just not created the virus at all. It's like, yes. <laughs> um, and then you have sort of Tom Cruise in this weird conversation, and you realize it's Duggery Scott because, like, I was just giggling. It's just like, oh, this is like face off because um, there are faces <laughs> coming off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to make sure I covered is, you know, that whole thing going around Twitter this week show us two, you know, show us one actor in two scenes where that shows their range. Yes. You could actually show Tom Cruise from this movie because there is a difference when he's being Duggery Scott being him. Yeah. And then when he's just, when he's just Ethan Hunt and when he's Tom, Tom Cruise. And I was like, you know, just, he looks over and I was like, I don't remember Tom Cruise being that creepy in this movie. I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's the other guy underneath him when he first start. Yes. And that's, no, just so subtle and it's wonderful no you did message me saying i want to talk about tom cruise's subtle performance and i think it really is i mean tom cruise is actually a very good actor and i think yeah. we do forget that because he is now just tom cruise like he's just tom he's cruise. just trying to kill himself in every movie like, yeah that's what he's doing that's, now that's he's, what we go to see that's what we're going to see we're, we're watching tom cruise try to kill himself um and him having a glorious time doing it apparently he's just now an adrenaline junkie um but it is and so now he's got the sort of persona much like Cary Grant had of um being a very specific type of Tom Cruise but when you actually mm -hmm. what go through his career um when he's not being the movie star Tom Cruise when he's like doing um Born on the Fourth of July Magnolia um like um uh, Eyes Wide Shut it's uh, you heck rain man i'd even put rain man in that category no yeah because he's actually got the i would say he's got the i think Pat, i don't not the first person to say this patrick for me from if this movie always makes this point he's actually got the more difficult role because he's trying to be the straight man to dustin hoffman's yep. craziness in that in that way mm -hmm. he's performing that so yeah he he is a very very good actor and you can kind of he's one of those guys that goes if i'm going to do something i'm going to train and be the best at it so he's going to work with every single great director. I would say Minority Report, especially um, War of the Worlds. Like his performance in those is, I would say, especially War of the Worlds is kind of pushing him and him outside of role he doesn't usually play, which is kind of like the loser, shabby father, which yeah, or in Ice the kind of shut, every yeah. man, yeah, kind of an every man, and he kind of pulls up. I wouldn't say he exactly pulls it up because you're still looking at him going. You're Tom Cruise. It's like my favorite Arnie performances, like <laughs> say, like True Lies or um, Kindergarten Cop, when I'm like, he's trying to be an everyman. I'm like, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're not an everyman. <laughs> there is there is nothing everyman about you. Like, yeah. <laughs> the roles when he's when he's obviously pretending to be an everyman because that's the cover he's got, and I'm like, no, nah, I still don't believe it. That there's no way you can teach kindergarten. There is no way you would just be a normal family man. <laughs> what is there's no way you. There's no way you're this excited about computer sales. Like exactly. In, in true life. <laughs>
that is an obvious lie. That is an obvious lie. Um, so yeah, it's that kind of thing. But at the same time, I think he does pull it off because I think he's acting like a father who's just desperate to keep his children safe. And mm-hmm. you, that kind of reads really well in War of the Worlds. So I think when he is doing the whole creepy um, Dimitri thing on the plane, I think it's, yeah, you're right. He, he, he is a very good actor and he knows kind of what, what to do. Um, and then he goes back into being Tom Cruise again. Tom Cruise knows what he's doing. He's very, very smart. He may be a psychopath, but he absolutely, a very small psychopath, but he's yeah. very aware of what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Duggery Scott, uh, I like when, I, and, and it was like, it was almost like, hey, remember how, how much you liked the first one when we showed you the mask? And oh, now this, is- this one's like, this oh, is like we're just every other person has a mask. It's like you get a mask, you get a mask, everybody gets a mask. <laughs> so much taking off masks, it's hilarious. I mean, tell me get to the with Paul Richard Roxborough um at the <laughs> toward the end, and like I'm like, wait, what? And I forgot about it. I'm like, oh, he's pulling a Michael Myers and friggin' um resur- and resurrections. This is amazing. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, how is how is Richard Roxborough not? Uh, one of the Scars Scarsgard family. Like he looks like he should be Skellen Skarsgård's brother or he something really like does. that. Like they, he really, they, really they does. Incredibly alike. Yeah, um, they really do. Um, oh my god, it's yeah. I was just watching. Go, oh shit, they're doing North by Northwest with Richard Roxburgh, the guy who's kind of in love <laughs> with his boss. <laughs> oh, super in love with his boss, like yeah. and really jealous of Thandie Newton. <laughs> yeah, which is North by Northwest with um. Oh shit! He was actually in the show, original show, uh, Mission Impossible. Um, Landau, Martin oh. Landau. He's uh, in love with James Mason. Uh, James Mason in uh, North Bay Northwest. It's it's very, yeah. But yeah, but the kind of so yeah, Tom Cruise is really good. But the one thing, I was sort of watching it. I didn't quite believe him in Thandie Newton, and I'm wondering two reasons. One, I think Thandie Newton looks like she's 17 in this movie. That I mean, if you look at Thandie Newton now, she looks like she's 35. Um, right. This woman does not age. So when she's probably in her mid to late 20s in this, she looks like she's 17. I'm like, mm, you look, mm, no. Um, and two, I was kind of wondering, I think um, Tom Cruise, my favorite Tom Cruise's performance is when he's being when I was complaining there's no sex in, in movies, but I think his performances when he's been kind of sexless, like I was like Magnolia, even something like Eyes Wide Shut, which is about him not getting laid, specifically not getting laid. Um, he's right. trying, but he can't do it. Um, <clears throat> Edge of Tomorrow, Minority Report, um, World of, uh, War of the Worlds. Um, it, he's kind of, it's kind of like the Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, when, because like, in um what was that jungle one jungle cruise where he's meant to be in kind of relationship with emily blunt and emily blunt is one of the most beautiful charismatic people on on screen and i'm just like going mm, no the rock i don't believe it like i think i'm a little similar no. with tom cruise in that way <laughs> yeah yeah you're totally right in this one and i guess i didn't uh you're right there's cer- certain scenes and certain outfits she's wearing like mm. that one when you first see her at the you know, when she's at that party trying to steal the, the necklace. Yeah. Um, that, that dress is breathtaking on her. She looks yes. amazing. She's stunning. Um, and then there's a couple, then there's another scene later when she's in jeans and blue and like a shirt. I'm like, you're right. It's like, 
oh, it, it, you look way too young. Uh, but that's just that's just excellent genes on her part. So we should. Um, As I said, but, she still uh, looks like she's thirty five. Like the woman is stunning. Like she's not, and she's but, a very yeah. good actor. Like I love Fanny Newton. But I'm just looking at yes. her going, yeah, you were like twenty six when you did this, and you don't. You look way young. Like it's not yeah. even a baby face. You just look young. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just perfect complexion perfect skin tone like it's one of those things like when she when she wakes up in the morning and he looks over at her i was like nobody looks that good in the morning it's no. impossible <laughs> but and maybe like, it is for thandy newton i've never woke up next to thandy newton so and no. i never will <laughs> no um but no she's absolutely stunning and she has kind of got that quality of when she's on screen you are only looking at her like she's yes, got true. that and that is the way we were shooting her like he knows mm -hmm. that this is the Ingrid Bergman every time she's on screen. And when you first see her in that amazing, when they're in Spain, or I'm guessing Sydney pretending to be Spain, um, it is, it, Sydney looks good in this movie, I will say. Like, whew, uh, pretty city. Um, it mm -hmm. is, it, she looks absolutely stunning. And I do love the scene when they're kind of hiding in the sarcophagi and she's like, uh, can I be on top? It's like, whatever you want. And she's like sitting on top of them, breaking into the safe. It's like that. Okay, that is a little sexy. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's literally putting her bag on his like chest. She's just like, yeah, you're just here for a table. Yeah, and he's literally <laughs> he's just like, with his arms uh, behind his head. No, whatever. There, um, there are times like that. Tom, Tom Cruise is like insanely charming. Because yes. the way he's acting there, he's very much like, hey, this is, all, this is, this is your show. I'm just along for the ride type of thing. And then when the she trips the alarm it was almost he was just like i knew that was gonna happen but then he you know he kind of like gets her out of there somewhat correct but then hmm. she just jets off and leaves and then when we see her the next day it's more of that stuff but um but yeah she's she's got a charisma that is just like like you said she walks into frame and you're just like boom we're focusing on her nothing else matters even Tom Cruise, who's a handsome devil in his own right. Yes. Even with this nice long, this perfect long hair. And this is probably like peak Tom Cruise at his, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, his, his, his hair looks great. Everything looks wonderful, but she just shows up and you're like, Tom, who we got. Yeah. <laughs> you really are. Like she kind of changes the temperature of like, there's certain actors who walk into a movie and they'll change the temperature. Like uh, Dennis Hopper in uh, Blue Velvet. Like as soon as he walks mm -hmm. in, the movie just changes temperature. She does that. As soon as she walks in, she is, um, the temperature changes completely. And I love that about that movie. This, John Woo, like, oh, no, no, no. This is, as I said, my Ingrid Bergman. She's gorgeous. And I, though I did not, I completely forgot how closely this follows Notorious, like even down to the car, the car chase the two have. Um, because that is making the car scene in Notorious. The fact that they're at the races, which is, of course, they're in Australia and they're at the goddamn races. Um, and also, and just these, even the balcony scene, like this. So I'm like, oh, this is literally notorious. With just a lot more action peppered throughout. Yeah, <laughs> instead, of, instead of a, a nice long staircase, it's a, a, there's a nice long action scene. Then there's a nice scene instead of a staircase. And then we get, you know, cars blowing up instead of this we get that so yeah oh my god i love woo it's just like every explosion is like five times bigger than it needs to be and i'm like 
yeah, this is this is how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also about eight times slower in speed than it needs to be. <laughs> oh, there's this thing that Ibu does when he like zooms in on a character and it's just to show their emotional state. But he, when he does it to Duggery Scott looking at Nandy, at, uh, Nandy Newton undressing, it's just his face. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you creepy son of a bitch. Don't, 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 don't look at her like that. <laughs> she looks like she's, yeah, because Andy Newton looks like she's very young. Stop it. Yeah, Fanny Newton does have a lot of, um, again, has a lot of agency in this movie. Even though it's Tom Cruise who saves her at the end of the, well, actually, technically it's, no, it's Tom Cruise and Big Rames. Again, forgot Big Rames is in this movie. Um, like, I forgot he was in the first one. The fact that he's kind of like the constant out of the franchise just makes me happy. <laughs> Um, I know. I love that of all the actors, Ving Ring, and I love that he's the computer hacker, like the guy who looks the least, <laughs> he looks like he'd break a computer trying to open it, not be this ultra slick, you know, and I, I love that fact. I, I almost forgot that Simon Pegg wasn't in this movie, too. Yeah, exactly, because you're so used to him there, and you're like, oh, yeah, because he became the computer guy, and then Ving Rang became something else. Like, right. well, he, yeah, they made, it's like, they were looking at him going, oh, Ving Rang's are too cool for this. We need to get Simon Pegg to be the computer in there. <laughs> my gucci um, shoes like he's, he's, like he's shoes. always about his shoes <laughs> yes i'm like yeah they were in the middle of the outback um i don't know how far away from sydney like i'm just like this is like a three day this is all they look like they're in like a two-day drive away from sydney at what um if you just sort of know where the outback <laughs> is opposed to where sydney is it's just like do they need to be that far away from Sydney? I don't quite. Yeah. Um, I I think he could could have hidden in a basement somewhere. He didn't have to like drive like you said to the outback to to exactly. get away and hide. I mean, it looks cool, and um, cool. and they're wearing jackets and stuff. I'm like, mm, no, nah, not in the middle of the day. You'd be like, I'm like, why is no one sweating? Even in a cool way, everyone looks really like they're cool and breezy. I'm like, mm, I know what that feels like. <laughs> And Thank that, you. As, and that shack, as no. somebody who sweats, yeah, as somebody that sweats, I'm like, why are you wearing a jacket in the desert? It's hot. Like <laughs> at night, yes. In the day, no. <laughs> it is, yeah, but it is, but yeah. So they're sort of hitting all these beats. Then Newman's great, but then you get these action set pieces. Even at the beginning with the plane, when you realize they're just going to kill everyone to get this virus and everything like that um it's such a cool action set piece and then it just keeps whenever there's an action set piece i'm like oh yes we're with woo i'm happy let's let's go um i love the break-in scene when they're doing the exact same thing when he's hailing from a cable hanging over a thing because it's mission impossible um mm -hmm. but then he, the the other joke is that there's a guy with his back to the window <laughs> tom cruise kind of has to quickly hide it's like oh shit <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I love that they have to, they even knew that we, we have to top the first scene. So, okay, he gets down in there, and what do we have to do? We have to make sure we get the rope up in time so it those gates that close, those little vein uh, things, yeah. it doesn't get trapped in there because that would set off the whole system too. So I love that you're like, and they're watching the thing go up to the point where they even have to pull, like fly the the helicopter up farther to get it out faster so they don't get caught and i'm like yeah. even that little bit of tension before uh you know gun blazing is 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 just it's a it's a nice little kind of hold your breath moment of and then as soon as yes. it gets out you're like 
Oh, thank, okay, thank God. We can move on to the next part now. Yes, because they make it very clear that he has 40 seconds to get the board <laughs> out. Like, so many times. You're 40 seconds. You're 40 seconds. Ring Rames is counting down and all that kind of thing. Um, it's, yeah, just all the action. Oh, my God. The, the action set pieces are so... It shows that how good Wu is at it, action because you've got these amazingly over-the-top sequences like the shootout in the factory um, with the hair flipping around and the dual guns and even big fires with doves flying in because it's John Wu. And then you have the sequence. It's got to be doves. It's got to be yep. doves. It's not Wu without doves. Um, mm-hmm. And then, because um, Dan has this habit of walking in every time I'm watching a Wu movie with his doves and he just looks at the doves, looks at me and goes, Wu? I'm like, yes. Um <laughs> He's like, you, you get that. Test. Okay, I have to share this because you you get that. At least yeah. I was watching Game of Thrones and my wife kept coming in during the first season. And, and you, you've seen Game of Thrones, correct? Yeah, I've seen, yeah. I've seen okay. the first it's, couple seasons. Is, it's yeah. older. Yeah, so the first season there's, um, you know, uh, Littlefinger is um, auditioning a a new woman to be part of his, you know, brothel. And mm-hmm. there's a scene where she's with another woman and my wife walks in and Angie goes, oh, I see why you're watching this. I was like, no, I swear, this doesn't happen. And then she leaves and comes back and that scene's still going. And she's like, right, this is why you're watching. I'm like, there's excellent acting in this. There's <laughs> Sean Bean and Jason Momoa. And then, um, so I, I wish I was I was watching John Woo and there was doves coming in because my wife could be, oh, you're watching John John Woo again but that oh, was <laughs> my god I was watching body double downstairs and Dan happened to walk in when there was like they're showing some of the, the porn sequences and it was two mm-hmm. women and he just looked at the two looked at me and went it's De Palma <laughs> <laughs> what else do you expect <laughs> what else do you expect like he's used to that he's walking I'm watching something Italian and then he'll just go I don't want to know but <laughs> It's... I love how our, our our spouses are eerily similar, or our our people are, are eerily similar. Because Angie will literally walk in and just be like, "Oh, you're watching this game, okay?" And then just walk off. And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm glad I have people I can talk to now about this. Stuff. Yes, like... <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, but it shows that that Wu is because I think Wu is very known for the bigness and the explosions mm-hmm. and the dual things and stuff. But when you see that scene when he's falling through the grate, they have to get the thing up. He's It shows it how good he is at precision as well. I mean, yep. he's known for certain things and when, and it's all very big and, but you, but it does show that he's absolutely amazing at the precision stuff. And that's the point I was trying to make that he can, you know, yep. he's a multifaceted director. Oh yeah. I mean, even the scenes like the, the scenes when they're in the, the, the cars earlier when they're yes. doing their, you know, and when the cars slam again, like she, he sees, you know, she's not paying uh, attention to the road and she goes up the, the hill and the, the you know, uh, bankment and then is going to slide off the the road and Tom mm. Cruise slams into her to, and as they're spinning around, like the way it focuses on both of them, like she's looking at him like, uh, please help me if you can. And he's mm. looking at her going, I'll help you. Like it's it's an action scene, but it's a very emotional and very small action scene in the way that their beats are what we're looking at not two cool cars spinning around each other and then the door opens and he catches her and then when they sit you know he like pulls her in you're like okay i can see why she would fall for this guy yes and i could see why she would fall for him and i like that Wu just doesn't forsake all of that just for the action you're right he is a multifaceted director he cares about everything else as much as the action he's just really great at the action part 
He is. No, and he always will let his, which is a sign of a really good action director, all his action sequences do tell their own little individual stories. Like that car mm-hmm. sequence. Um, it has a beginning, middle, and end. And there's the emotional stakes. There is the, um, in the, I guess, virus factory, the laboratory, whatever it is. It's got the <laughs> virus factory. <laughs> Um, it's I, just see, I just see the, the, the sign up there, zero days since incidents. <laughs> <in the> <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like you had four weeks and then after that night, zero days since. <laughs> that's when, that's when the actual sign blows up and you see it at, at, at the end, it just, it just engulfs in flames and you're like, uh-huh. But yeah, you're right. That does tell, it's got a great beginning part of the, you know, um, mm. descent in. And then when he's in, he finds what he's looking for. But then, oh, everybody else is there too. And and there's, you know, their radio comms always go bad at the worst possible times. Yes. Whenever somebody's trying to tell you somebody's coming in, the radios stop working. Like if that there's is... any trope in an action movie that I love the best, it's like, uh-oh, they can't hear them. Something's about to happen. Can't tell you noise in the building. Um, and then he finally goes, oh, by the way, noise in the building. And Tom Cruise is just like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of figured that one out now. <laughs> and once again, a nice moment of levity in an otherwise yeah. pretty serious thing because, you know, that follows her, you know, injecting herself and like. Again, say, she gets and, sick, which is very notorious. And, but, yes, but I also like she chooses to do it. Yes. You know, she's like, I'm not going to give it to Sean because she's like, you're not going to get exactly what you want. And she knows that. Tom Cruise will do whatever he can to save her. So she's like, okay, great. And she does that. And I was just like, uh, and I like how he gets mad at her because again, he's much like Cary Grant in Notorious doesn't like he's gotten her into this. Yes. And now he's mad that she's at this state where she's at because of him, but he can't just say that. Yes. <laughs> he's going to get angry at her. Exactly. Um, the one, yeah, so, and even at the end with the motorcycle chase at the end, again, that has its own begin, beginning, middle, and end. It just happens to have one of the most coolest gun kicks out of sand I've ever seen. And then with the hair oh. flip and the, oh my God. It's we like will talk about will. it. <laughs> we will talk about it ad nauseum because I have a lot to say about those scenes. That last, that last hour of this movie is insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I forgot that the first half was pretty much notorious and then Danny I'm like wow Danny Newton like injects herself really early on and then the next thing is just pure action I'm like oh this is why because I forgot once he hits the the, the lab um it just keeps it that's when everything keeps. just kind of keep, keeps going it's um it's kind of incredible but it, it yeah this movie is just so good at what it does even though I think there's a few kind of minor flaws maybe the chemistry between oh, sure. crews and things. Um, I kind of would have liked to know what the relationship was more between um, Duggery and um, Dandy a little bit more because you mm-hmm. only get what Richard Roxburgh says, oh, she wasn't that keen on you when she left six months ago. Why is she being so friendly? Because um, you do get that. She wasn't, or, I, I, she wasn't that yeah, keen on you. She wasn't she that wasn't, good. Oh. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't gagging for it. Gagging when you for left. it. <laughs> which I was is, like, Ew. No, which is <laughs> such an Australian line. And he's meant to be South African, I think, which I don't know if oh. South African use gagging, but gagging for it is a very specific Australian thing okay. you will hear. And we have 
the most disgusting oh. friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like when, you know, uh, Dougree, who I think what his character's name is Ambrose, I think. Yes, Sean, Ambrose. Uh, yeah, Sean, Sean Ambrose. Ambrose. Very, uh, very in um, um, name. <laughs> oh, very, yeah. To go back to the very, I love when he takes the mask off and he goes, or when he's talking to Tom Cruise when they're in that, and he goes, you know what the worst part about portraying you was? Grinning like an idiot for, you know, every five minutes. <laughs> and I like that Tom Cruise is much like uh, certain other, act he he's not ashamed of getting the piss taken out of him in movies. Like he yes. will allow that to happen. Oh. Again, like we said before, an absolute madman, but he's in, I don't Tropic know. Thunder, his whole thing the in Rock, Tropic Thunder. We do give... Yes, his whole thing in Tropic Thunder, but he will take the piss out of himself and let other characters do the same. Whereas unfortunately, some of our other major actors today don't seem as keen on that happening as they used to be. And I'm like, no, that's what in, endears us to you guys is we know you're you're larger than life. Let somebody take a little shot at you here or there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> or it kind of acknowledging what your persona is. Because um, I don't know if, well, there's a, probably a couple within the, who used to be in the same franchise we're probably thinking of that don't like to necessarily make fun of themselves, um, yeah. which is sad. But if those bald-headed men, I mean, Steve would be completely, <laughs> sounds like he's completely on board with it. The other two aren't, but two particular bald men um, aren't <laughs> necessarily willing to acknowledge what uh, and kind of make a little joke of what their personas are. Everything has to be very, yep. very serious. Um, whereas Tom Cruise was always being, I mean, he's fully aware that his whole thing now is watching us kill him, try to kill himself, like Buster Keaton, that he's kind of, and he kind of leans into it. And in this, it's like, yeah, grinning like an idiot, because that's what Tom Cruise does. He has to have this weird smile on his face every single time that, that is his persona. So yeah, right. just have fun with it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, exactly. And I like when, so she wasn't exactly gagging for it when she left. And I like when he grabs his hand and uses his cigar, you know, and thing yes. to cut. And, yeah. and when he goes, I just, I just like, he's like, well, I am gagging for it. So basically he's like that kind of bad guy. You're like, yeah, I know that they're trying to use her to get to me. I don't care. And yeah. sometimes, guess what? Sometimes I like a multi-layered bad guy or bad girl i like when there's mm. layers to it sometimes i just want him to be bad for no re just just to be bad because then i know who i'm rooting for i don't need layers to my bad to my villain sometimes ambrose is a perfect example of that he's a douchebag when we meet him he's a douchebag when he dies and we're happy along the way because he's completely a douche all the time and you're like you're getting yours and i can't wait for it yeah and i kind of like the fact that he is aware from the beginning that um uh, naya is kind of playing with him. Like he is very aware, sure. like that breakup obviously ended badly. Why? But he's still obsessed with her. So he's kind of, he's thinking he can control the situation. Like, and he's really, mm -hmm. he's IMF. Like he's really aware they could be using her as a pawn. Like I'm, I'm aware sure. of that, there's a possibility. And um, it, it's, it makes him kind of even worse in a way that he fact that mm. he knows that she's playing him because he's and he, that he's going along with it just to have sex with her. I'm just like, oh, that, yeah, that's gross. That's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. gross. But, but it's one of those things where you're like, okay, that sometimes is what villains do. And I, yes. you know, um, the, a scene I really like is when they're watching him at the racetrack, as you mentioned, a racetrack, we have yes. to have it. Um, 
and we are in a different time where they don't have to be standing next to each other, but yep. she gets the nice little earpiece and she's being very subtle about putting that earpiece in. Mm. And then Tom Cruise is explaining where he's at and she's looking and then um, you see him put it in his left jacket pocket and then he feels her put the envelope back in the wrong pocket and he's just like, oh, okay. Mm. Now all of my suspicions are fully realized I still don't care. And I'm like, gross. But then later when his like, you know, um, uh, Roxborough goes, where's that envelope? He goes in my right jacket pocket. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you do know about this. And you're just even more of a slime ball. I can't wait for you to get tackled out of midair in a midair collision with motorcycles. <laughs> it's, it makes it more satisfactory when he dies. Again, I'm obsessed yeah. with Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and that has a villain that you cannot wait to see his ass get beat. He is. I cannot wait. I think we're going tomorrow uh, as just, a family. Just, so, just yeah. Take some tissues. Just make sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm already aware. I cry. You know me. I'm, I'll, tw I'll tweet out. I just watched, you know, Warrior for the 8,000th time, and I cried because the brothers, you know, re you know, reconciled over a dislocated shoulder and tapping in the middle of the ring. I'm gonna yeah. ball like a baby at Guardians of the Galaxy. I know you are. I, I bored like a baby. Like I'm not mocking. I literally bored like a baby. My partner had to like go, you're okay? I'm like, no. <laughs> I last time that happened, I went to in uh the winter, I took my oldest who was home from uh, yeah. uh school. We went to see Avatar 2 and it was just me and him. And Avatar 2, say what you want, it, it's a, it's a, if you're a parent or even have like, you know, fur babies, you know, yes. like there's a certain emotional connection you have. And I'm sitting there next to my oldest and I'm just like, I'm like wiping tears away. And he's looking over, he goes, are, are you okay? I was like, you'll know when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> so we get home and my, you know, Angie's like, so did your dad cry? And Skylar just goes, of course he did. I'm like, everybody knows that I'm now the crier at movies and stuff. They're like, uh-oh, dad's, dad's downstairs watching something. Leave him alone till he's done crying. Yeah, just, <laughs> just give him a space. Give him a space. Yes, but it is, yeah, he is such a, so it's so satisfying when he gets it. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes you do need a villain like I love a multi-layered um, villain who's got a lot of things going on. Sometimes I just love to see a hateful guy get beat. And this is Duggery. I mean, he is. This is Duggery. It, he is kind of, he is just, again, kind of passive aggressive about everything he's doing. Like, <laughs> he could cut it off right at the beginning. Like, as soon as Sandy's in trouble, he gets it there. He's like, well, why are you really here? What's going on? But he doesn't. Mm -hmm. He kind of plays along with it to see how far he can push it. And that's his kind of downfall because he underestimates um, Tom Cruise. And so when Tom Cruise, Michael Myers, Richard Roxborough, and it has the, the, mm -hmm. the face comes off again, and the mask, oh, and, and you think, he thinks he's shot in Tom Cruise, shot Tom Cruise, but in fact, he shot um, his best bud. It's it's like, well, that's kind of, you You, you could have stopped this way before it got to this point. This is, yeah, this is all on you. This is all on yeah. you. Um, also, how have we gone this long and not even mentioned that Brendan Gleeson is in this movie? Like, I totally <laughs> forgot. <laughs> so young. <laughs> Oh my God, he looks younger in this than he does in like uh, uh, the, oh shoot, the Martin Scorsese uh, Gangs of Gangs New of York. New York. Cause he even yes. looks, oh, shit. I he even looks, well. I know, he, he even looks young in that, but 
He looks younger like, than Blake wait. Placid, and Blake Placid came out before this. <laughs> it's insane. Excellent point. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, here I am. I'm like, the the last time I saw him, he's in the Banshees of Earth. <laughs> now he's in Mission Impossible 2. Well, the Banshees of Insurance, speaking of movies that make you cry, um, he is a, he is ah, the yeah. ultimate grumpy old man in that one. Like, he is absolutely just... Oh, the grumpiest of grumpy old men. <laughs> yes. Um, and this one, he's a French-faced corporate man who just wants to buy a virus. I mean, what is, what is so hard about that? Right. I mean, shouldn't you just be able to go out as somebody who's a pharmaceutical company and just buy whatever virus you want exactly what is the shenanigans and getting kidnapped by tom cruise pretending to be a russian scientist and all this kind of thing i mean it's, it's oh so and we fun. didn't and that's that that's actually a really great scene that they're both using the face mask yeah. tech to get yeah. what they need because yes. you know i'm like and that's once again where tom cruise shows that subtle difference when she when he's supposed to ha- be duggery scott being him when he hugs Fandy Newton, when you know she comes running around the corner and he grabs her and she's like, "Oh, Ethan!" When he yeah. hugs her, I'm like, "Ooh, that is a creepy look that I don't like at all. I don't yeah. like what we're seeing here." And it's just like very, Egh. and then you transport that to Tom Cruise, who's using this technology for good. Yes, <laughs> like, instead of bad. <laughs> instead of bad, um, and it's another in the long line of Mission Impossible movies that use somebody who's in a medical facility and they're yes. using and they're like doing some sort of ruse to get the information out of them and then they either wake them up or they put them back to sleep and then wake them up in their car like it was all a bad dream no my, my favorite one of that is i can't remember which one it was but they used the guy from cnn wolfgang or something and they're using him they're doing a fake broadcast mm-hmm. and then um and then it's in a hospital but he's in a hospital yeah it, they do this a lot like um i think this one surprised me how much they use the kind of the, the mask and it's just this amazing face-off moment or like a go it's just like um oh what is the line so it's like looking into a mirror but not like it's all like a <laughs> just because Wu has done the ultimate face-off um <laughs> movie so it's kind of hard just to sort of watch this and not go uh, uh, start quoting um Nicolas Cage but <laughs> <laughs> um I've got that weird face thing that John Travolta does it's just like why <laughs> oh that weird face waterfall thing yes. what are you doing to people doing? oh don't, don't subject people to that what um no just no just weird. just just yeah just give him a hug or say something have like a cool nickname for your daughter or your Dwight you know that's what I do we have to walk up to my kid you know what I'm gonna start doing that just to see what happens I'll probably get punched by one of my kids like what are you doing dad dude get away from me you know just the thing it's just like no And then that ends so weird. He brings the kid home as like a surrogate replacement. And then the daughter does it to him. Like this poor kid's like, ah, stop touching my face. I mean, it's weird enough that he brings the kid home as a surrogate thing for the son that they lost. And then I'm like, no, what the? And he didn't even check with with his wife on that one. Like, hey, do you think maybe we should? Nope, he just, look at this. Your son. (laughs) <laughs> stop grieving now <laughs> i love face off but that, oh boy that, the whole oh thing yeah me too just, yeah. um <laughs> it, yeah so it's Wu always has these weird emotional kind of kicks in his movie that you're just like going 
really? And Dougie Scott has most of them. <laughs> I would say. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And he's got some of the best looks too. Like, yeah. um, I, I'm curious. I want to, I don't want to read up on it because I want to just imagine that the scene at the, when they're doing their little deal in that bunker and Tom Cruise has infiltrated it and it goes full martial arts movie mode. Like we're not talking like this is basically Tom Cruise going, I want to do what Jean-Claude Van Damme used to do and do it as as good, if not look better. I and so he gets to was surprised do spin kicks and flips. Yeah. When it was actually him. Like I was like, oh, he's, oh. I, as and you they, guys, as Action Twitter would say, has done the work. And Wu yes. hooks Tom Cruise hooks up. Him up. Wu hooks him up. Like and, every scene. Like, <laughs> oh, and he, I mean, Tom Cruise is hooked up for the entire movie, but I was actually generally, because I hadn't, I think I went through the beginning of the pandemic and just watched all of the um, Mission Impossible movies. Um, yeah. But it is, so now, <laughs> because Anthony Hopkins going, um, it'll be difficult. Um, well, this is not mission difficult. This is um, mission, mission impossible. impossible. <laughs> so you, this should be a walk in the park for you. Um, <laughs> Which is an excellent line, by the way. Wonderful it's an excellent line. Kind of... and, and, and Anthony Hopkins chews on it, but every time I hear Mission Impossible, so this is not mission difficult, yeah. it's Mission Impossible. Um, but no, I was... supposed to be a walk in the park for you. Walk for the park for you. Um, I was generally surprised at the sidekicks and the the... What is the double kick? The double Scott Atkins does a lot where he just like they fly across the room with both uh, legs to kick. That that's it's move. like a yeah, it looks like a wrestling drop kick where you hit with both feet, but then yes. you're able to twist your body and land. Where yes. Scott Atkins can land on his feet because he's just amazing. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, Tom Tom Cruise does it, but then twists his body and lands in a way that you could land and be somewhat safe. Um, but yeah, every single frame and every single crazy martial arts move like they make sure to show you it is tom cruise and this is kind of i think with the climbing scene at the beginning and i remember reading about you know when he made the first one how he was on top of that train and yes uh wanted to do like this is the start of stunt tom cruise like yes. the guy who's willing to to go above and beyond for our entertainment and who's you know like i'll i'll ensure myself so yes. if I get hurt, nobody else is, is there, suffering. There, in this movie, he just straight up lied to the insurance company. Like, he, right. yes. yeah, the other ones he'll pay for. He'll pay for, I'll pay for my own insurance. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> this one, um, they had all like stunt, he did have stunt doubles for some of the mountain stuff and a few kind of things like that. But it is a lot of him. Um, but yep. he just straight up lied to the insurance company. He goes, oh, no, no, I got stunt doubles. Here they are. See, look at them. See, yep, the guy in a very pretty wig. That, that, that's me. Um, and <laughs> it's, <laughs> but no, he, yeah. So, but then he'll just go and do it himself. Like when he was going through the fire, he had no suit or gel. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? That, no, that is dangerous. <laughs> you insane human being. Yeah. And that, that's that scene where like when he throws the canister and blows it up. And then of course, yeah. doves, doves, does fly in. And the scene that I don't want to know is probably digitally, enhanced is when you see the flames in Duggery Scott's eyes when Tom Cruise just walks past like fuck you and Duggery, <laughs> and Duggery Scott's like no but I, his eyes and you see the flames in it I'm like I would just love to know think and I'm going to go to my grave thinking that was just John Woo framing it so the flames were reflected in Duggery like quick like put some some drops in his eyes so that's super 
reflective. <laughs> oh, I'm because... sure they had the conversation and then Dagger's got went, no. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm not going to get that close to the fire. Yeah. Yeah, not going to get that close to the fire. I'm not Tom Cruise. Of course, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> of course, there's also there's also doves at every other scene. Like when when Tom Cruise is, is hiding up and then he looks up and there's a dove. I'm just like, oh, John Woo. <laughs> <laughs> just, John Woo's just having fun. We're just going to dove there. That'd be cool. <laughs> I, there's a part of me that hopes that in John Wick 2, when we meet Lawrence Fishburne's characters, or character that the dove was picked as for that reason. I know they're pigeons or carrier pigeons, but that has to be an, another homage to the it action does. classics that we know before. Because John Wick is such an homage to the action classics. The fact that it keeps showing images of Buster Keaton, the fact that it, it keeps, um, you know, the, uh, what is it in the first one when everyone says, oh, he shot John Wick's dog, they go, uh oh, or something, or what is the word? It's not quite that, but it's a, it's a homage to when the thing goes whoa in The Matrix and in Point Break. I mean, this is a constant, this, um, even though it's turned, it's gone full opera at the end, this is always, John Wick has always been a homage to the great action, great. To whatever, so, yeah, yeah mm. to basically what whatever has inspired Keanu Reeves and Chad Stahelski. It's on the screen, yeah. like, you know yeah. it there. Um, yeah. And John Woo is definitely there. This, I looked through, because uh, when I watched it this time, I watched it under the lens of our buddy Chris. And this would probably score really low on uh, Chris uh, Chris Barreras' tactical. Really? I don't, I don't remember a single reload in the entire movie. I'm just like, I'm like, <laughs> I love endless bullets for guns. But guess what? Chris does too when the movie sets itself up this way. Oh, <laughs> Oh, okay, Chris, let me know. Does this movie set itself up for just like a magical no reloading kind of thing? Because the amount of times <laughs> that people are on their side, which is a very John Woo thing, but on their side lying down just shooting, which again, go back to Hot Fuzz, the fact that when they take that moment off, it's, it's amazing. Oh my God, they, they love that moment. <laughs> just just um, with it, oh, it's, it's so good. They're just flying through the air slow motion and they're just both shooting in the air and just like, yes. And there's a lot of that, in here it is mm -hmm. um the amount of times even the final shot when he's shooting uh Dagger scott again he's on his side i'm like going and i actually thought of chris as well that actually i don't think he can do that i i, I don't think that oh, would I, be a sensible way to shoot a gun when you're lying down on the side i do not think it would be either, no no nope. uh, there's a part of me when you see him on the motorcycle and i think if i remember by my count correctly he blows up two, maybe three cars with his pistol yes. when he's whipping around and he's shooting the gas tank, which of course Miss, uh, Myth, Mythbusters has verified doesn't explode a car, but I don't care. Um, there's only, there's one scene in this whole movie where I'm like, that made it past John Woo and both Tom Cruise's like approval. And that's when the motorcycle jumps off of the, kind of grassy area onto the bridge. And you can totally tell that it's on wires that are just digitally removed because the motorcycle just kind of floats and then slowly lands down where I'm like, all right, I get what they were doing, but every other shot with the motorcycle looks utterly amazing. Like I'm surprised they didn't try one where they're like, let's just see what without the wires, how it looks, but probably because Tom Cruise couldn't do it without killing himself. They were like, yes. I guess we have to use the wires. I get it. But from from me, that's the only scene where I can see 
where the motorcycle yeah. is aided yeah. by something. Every other scene where he's doing reverse wheelies and spinning around looks amazing. Well, no, I mean, the thing is, this movie was kind of taken off woo, at least. I mean, his original cut was three and a half hours long. And by the way, I would watch three and a half hours. Mission Impossible. Uh, um, mm -hmm. So the studio did, I think it probably went back to Cruise and he knew that he had to make, it had to be a two hour movie, um, which yeah. I kind of see the business, I kind of see the model that was a necessity. Um, I don't, you could do that in Hong Kong, but I don't know at, at the year 2000, you could have expected people to sit through a three and a half John Woo action movie, at least in the States or the Australia, New Zealand, West, UK, the Western side. Yes. Now I think you could. Yeah. Um, I don't think John Woo in that time on the Western side had built up that enough cred, even though I think time has been so much kinder to his American movies and people were just going, yeah, I'm watching a three hour. Because he did, mm -hmm. he went, made a four hour red clip back in Hong Kong. Uh, with, um, <laughs> so he was like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm going to make a four hour movie about with 70,000 million extras and you're just going to look at this and go, how, what? Um, can you? Can Tony just kiss that guy, please? Now, thank you. Um, like, <laughs> seriously, they're just always staring at each other. Like, just like it gets right. to the point where just we're making kiss. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, yeah. So I think the movie is a little bit choppy, only because the final cut probably wasn't what we wanted. Because right. he was working in the American system, he wanted John Woo. They just didn't want the full Woo, which happens to so many filmmakers who come over to the states who are um do well in their own country like oh yeah come make a movie here and then they go oh yeah but don't be too weird like calm down um <laughs> yeah yeah just yeah. weird enough okay just weird enough but what he's still able to do in this movie and the action set pieces and the way this movie moves especially in the back half is incredible like as soon as he's in that laboratory it just keeps it just does not stop and that's when you really feel the movie put on the gas and just go for it like the first half is a little stoppy and starty but as soon as you hit that back half it just goes and it feels way more pure woo than the first half did even though that is very woo like the whole movie you can feel him and especially when they're talking about the virus when they're looking at the greek um mythology kind of thing for the viruses i'm like oh, this is so woo i love it just them explaining it's like <laughs> It's the Greek gods. And I'm like, again, you just to make a hero, you don't always need, yes, I get that, but you didn't have to make the virus to begin with to make the antidote. <laughs> <laughs> they, they also really liked that scene because we heard that Russian, you know, uh, scientist spiel about how in our great plight to find the, the hero, the we had to create the villain. And I'm like, do we have to hear that three, maybe four times? Like they play the whole entire thing multiple times throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah, and they don't, do. don't get me wrong. The guy's wonderful. And when I saw him in, you know, Batman Begins, when he goes, when, he, you know, Bruce Wayne gives him the jacket and then as Batman, he sees him and goes, you know, nice coat. Nice He's jacket. Like, Thanks. Well, nice nice jacket. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's the guy for Mission Impossible. <laughs> um. It, yeah, they really do. They really hammer that home to make the greatest terror. And I think it's, again, Wu loves the duality. He loves kind of the uh, different sides of the same coin. That is meant to be Duggery yeah. and Cruz. That's kind of yeah. the metaphor. To be the great hero, you need a great opponent. I, but I just keep thinking, yeah, but to make the best antidote, you don't have to make the virus. You can just make an antidote to another virus that we already have. Like, 
we don't need new right. ones as the world has already found out we're fine like, like if you're doing that just make a virus that that counters the worst stuff that we know of and yeah. then you should be able to then you know mutate that to then take care of what anything else might come around <laughs> exactly no i mean it's a nitpick of nitpicks i realize that it's done to do with the movie but that's just the one thing that i kept thinking because that speech comes up a lot so i'm just like just why did you make the virus in the first place right um and but it makes for a good movie i mean in 1946 you have the nuclear kind of arms thing because that was really prevalent and to update that you make it more of a virus. And I do like how they really established this is not a good virus. This virus is like Ebola, which I think was making rounds in 2000. So it was a really easy sure, reference yeah. to make. Yeah, it just like mm -hmm. kills you <laughs> instantly. Yeah, and not in not in a, a, like a nice calm way where you just go to sleep. It looks very painful and sounds very gross, like type of thing. Yes. So yeah. Um, yep. Uh, and I, I like that. The only thing I don't buy is that Tom Cruise and Thandie Newton, like they're so in sync that he would be like she wouldn't stay in town she'd go to the like she you know he like knew where she'd be going i was like okay that's a little ridiculous but they also did have the whole tracker in so i get it but there's a part of me where i'm like nothing to this point has led us to believe you guys are this close that fast that you just know each other's next move and you'd know what they would do you've known her less than 24 like 48 hours at this point in time <laughs> yeah with um with Notorious, they have, I mean, yes, they fall in love quick. I believe that Cary Grant knows something is wrong when she hasn't shown up for five days. Um, yes. That I buy because they've kind of built up a relationship over time. Yeah, these two, they've known each other for two days. Like, it's so quick. Um, and so, yeah, he, and then you just see this random shot, just like a day standing, you just kind of wandering around going, oh, no. <laughs> just like, just, I don't know why that feels so funny to me. I'm just like, this was, like a, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Warm milk on a hot day, not a good choice. It, that kind of reminds me of. Um, but no, I love this. Because <laughs> I love the scene where she does inject herself because it takes, I mean, John Woo knows when to kind of put the brake on it sometimes. Like when she's kind of looking at Duggery, she's looking at Cruz, she's looking at the thing. He's holding the gun. He knows that Duggery isn't going to shoot her because she's holding it. And that fact that he still has, whatever happens, he still has feelings for her and all this kind of thing. And then she just sticks it in her arm. And it's, it is a really great moment of building tension because you know she's going to do it. Like even if you hadn't seen it, she's like, oh, she's going to, inject yourself with the virus isn't she, isn't she but he makes you wait and i love it mm -hmm. and i like at that exact moment because we've heard that it what takes 20 hours from the time of injection through there because they yes. had all that knowledge and i like that you know they show how smart and resourceful ethan hunt is that he clicks his watch to to count down so he knows when the time will be up for her that she has to get the shot so he's like mm. so we're working on that you know, countdown clock, which keeps movies moving along and speeding ahead. And there's no, once a countdown clock gets introduced, very rarely does a movie take time to just sit with a scene and just go, these two are just going to sit and have coffee right now. It's like, nope, this is going to be. Gonna... For Time Cop, where I swear it's like the time that the thing is like 20 seconds. Oh, and then it takes 10 right. minutes. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's way too, yes, you are right. Yeah, way too long there. <laughs> he knows it's coming. It's, it's, it's like, he's able to go back inside the house, find a completely different outfit and come back. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I love it because I'm just like going, okay, I know this is a time travel movie. Now you're just playing with actual like physics right. of how time works. Um, but I love it. Like I love <laughs> 
time felt just it's the best um but that was yep. taking the mickey out of this is taking longer than the actual clock <laughs> yeah, right come on yeah we get it. come on but no i love how it establishes the clock when they're in the lab so he's already established that he knows how to use the clock so it's not a new thing so he's doing that and then he does it again when bandy um injects herself so i think it's just these little smart things that the movie knows to um put time limits on but also to establish character as this is how tom cruise works that's just mm -hmm. instinct for him like this is how he how he works um uh so yeah so he knows okay i need to get out um i need to get her out but i also need to get out but i also need to buy time so i'm gonna michael myers Virginia's brother had that whole cool scene oh his jaw's broken so we can't talk nope face off no um and then sort of the chase is on and that car chase is amazing like it's it is so cool but then we get to the dueling motorbikes um <laughs> i know this was part of the marketing it was in the trailer it's the thing people remember from it is the jousting dueling motorbikes it's <laughs> when they just wrap each other it's so cool <laughs> oh man and i feel really bad for those stunt people because when they hit in midair and then land on the beach oh, that looks it. like it hurts oh man i'm just like ow my bad like i i just turned my well. knees wrong and everything hurts this is yeah they're landing and the bikes are exploding as they're landing wonderfully choreographed may, uh, mayhem and then they both get up and tom cruise is just like I really hate you. And I'm just going to, he just kicks him square in the face, just boom. And then it's, it's a brilliantly choreographed yet still scrappy, ugly fight. Cause the moves don't look great. No. It and really the fact doesn't... that there's, they're like kicks aren't beautiful lines like Jean-Claude Van Damme or Scott Atkins kicks where you see it. Like there's a grittiness to it that I dig. And I mean, even when they're choking, like, you know, Douglas grabs a rock and, hits him in the head with a rock and you're just like ow and then it's like you know it's just it's still scrappy while looking cool and then there's just there's a couple really great kicks that they pull the camera back they focus on we don't care about Gregory scott that's probably a stunt person getting kicked in the face but yes. tom cruise in all of his glory he spins around you see his face he lands you see his face he gets up they don't cut so you know he put the work in and woo hooks him up yeah, it's it's kind of cool. And also, I like the fact that it's very scrappy, but it's also very, except for the fact that Tom Cruise is showing off the moves and he's kicking mm -hmm. Duggery, um, Ambrose in, in the face. I do kind of miss the fact when Harris would lose in a fight then to win it. Um, yep. it's, it's like a give and take. Yes, I keep, like, I'm going to go see the, the latest Fast X. Like, I will be there opening week. Oh, I'm going but, too. My wife wants to see it that's the only movie she's geeked about saying i'm like you want to go see guardians yeah okay but hey fast x is uh, coming out and guess what jason uh momoa and reacher's in it she's like wait what reacher's in it <laughs> she's like oh all the hot people are in this yes i'm going to go see that oh gotcha um, gotcha <laughs> gotcha yeah um no but kind of um there are certain okay fine just dwayne johnson and vin diesel cannot be the hint of losing a fight there's kind of this power play yeah. and i miss and i like when action there's a fight oh no he's losing he's getting his ass kicked it's actually difficult he has to actually yep. figure out how he's going to win this fight with this guy and they're kind of meant to be evenly matched and you can kind of even though they had very different fighting styles you can kind of see that it's difficult um and i like that and the fact that he doesn't choose to shoot him the helicopter comes down you see fanny 
everything's going right. And then Daggery just yells, you should have killed me. Because now he's just, now he's just being petty. Like he's just, yep. he, he, knows he's, he knows he's lost. Now he's just going to be petty and just. Right. And just kind of poke at every single nerve that's left. Cause he's like, Ugh. and I, I like what you brought up before. And I won't rag on the rock and Vin Diesel more than we have. Um, I tend to do I that a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, no, don't be. Guess what? They, I think they, of all people, should be able to take it, although based on how they react to certain things, probably can't anymore. Mm. Um, but what I love about certain action stars like Keanu Reeves, Scott Atkins, um, there's a bunch of others sprinkled throughout there, like Eco Uweas, they yes. understand that you're only as good as your villain looks. So yes. if your villain, if you dispose of them super fast, that doesn't really build your character up because and it's not you have to take your ego out of it it's a movie it's fake we know it like those people watching it don't think the rock is not super strong or is not charismatic as i'll get out yeah. i am more drawn to the actor that looks at it and goes for the story purposes this is what happens and i can there's countless movies where atkins who we know is incredibly skilled should not ever take a hit but does because he knows that builds tension that builds character and we respond more and it has more emotional stake to it, even in a direct to video movie versus a huge multi-billion dollar blockbuster. That's why we love those movies so much because. Yeah. Of yeah. And the thing I love about the John Wick series overall is that 90% of those movies, Keanu's tired. Like you can see oh. it. Like the way he always gets up. I mean, there's this great moment. I won't completely spoil it. But toward the end, John Wick is lying on the floor and then someone tells him, okay, you have to get up now. Like, let's go. And just, you can just tell his knees are in pain, especially what he's been through <laughs> to get to that point. Um, yes. Speaking of almost crying when something happens again, I was just like, no, seriously. Oh. <laughs> the third time I was just like, oh, dude. Um, I, oh, that's, I will go back one further because this is not, this isn't worrying about spoiling because people have mostly seen it, but in John Wick 3, when he's fighting uh, Chep Chep and um, uh, Yayan from um, the Raid films, they knock him down after he's been kicked through all that glass. I, yes. There's a part of me that I love it when he just kind of puts his hands up and goes, wait a second. And they all just <laughs> kind of step. And he gets up and like slips on the glass. And he's just like, shit, I'm so sick of this crap. And, he's just, and he takes off the belt and he's like, all right, I'm ready. Let's Let's go. Like, that is why one of the reason we love Keanu is like he yeah. understands these things and he's also not afraid to let other people shine because that makes John Wick that much cooler when he finally beats them. Yes, because Daggery Scott on paper and when you first look at him doesn't seem like a very charismatic villain. I think it's just no. the actor. When he's playing Prince Charming in Ever After, it's fantastic. But I think mm -hmm. but what the movie understands and what Cruz and Wu understand is that Daggery still has to be the baddest ass to make Cruz look good. Yep. So that fight at the end is so good is because, yeah, Cruz is getting his butt kicked for about 50% of it. Like, it's very, very yep. even. It's almost to a standstill. And it's just, Cruz just manages to get the upper hand. I mean, the whole knot, I mean, it's ridiculous when he kind of leaps on him to with the knife, but then Cruz has managed to keep oh. his hands up. And then, then you see that typical thing of the, Thing just being so I mean that, it's brushing his eyelash. <laughs> oh, that was the other scene that literally took the audience's breath away when that oh, was it and you see the knife hit. I remember sitting there, everybody going, <gasps> and then when you see the little flicker, I 
hate my eyes. Like if I get an eyelash in my eye, don't be, don't even be around me. Cause I'm just like, yeah. oh, world's coming to an end. Everybody leave me alone. So I can get this thing out. <laughs> and my lovely wife has uh, contacts now. And there'll be times where I'll look over and I'll see her kind of tweet. Cause she's like, oh, a contact's come loose. I almost lose it. I'm like, oh, my eye starts watering for you. So when yeah. I see eye stuff, it me. So that when I see his, his eyelash get, get tickled by the knife, I'm just kind of like, uh, uh, uh. And it's yeah. one of those moments where like uh, they, I read they had like some sort of like pneumatic machine that would bring the knife down. So it would stop where it was supposed to. Like, oh. yeah, this is not like Tom Cruise. There, there's no forced perspective of the knife being, you know, two feet away or close to the camera. So they had to come up with a way to stop it at the right moment that so it could be filmed. Trust. That takes absolute Doesn't trust. Because that, yeah. Because even if it's a machine, I'll have to be like, mm, no, that's things getting way too close to my eye. Thank you. No. Way too close. Way yep. too close. And it's, it, 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 yeah. But when you see the tip, it just, I mean, the leak looks ridiculous because I'm like, oh, what? How the physics even in this? Because this the movie that doesn't follow <laughs> physics, and I'm still questioning physics. Um, think, right. but when you see the the blade just like tickle his eye, you're like tickle the eyelash. You're like, oh my god, that is close. It's like that's wait, that's too too close for comfort. And then yes, I I really like the final kick when he does that like kind of spinning back kick because you see the sand on his boot hit his jaw. Yes fly up, and I like that Tom Cruise is like, no, I don't have to kill you because I've I've won. Yeah, and the only reason he kills him is you're right because Duggery Scott makes it personal and yeah. takes it, and he's just like has to nag him and go, "You should have killed me," and like, and, he, and he's just he's doing it out of spite now because he knows he's lost. No matter what happens, he's just gonna try and take the world down with him. That's all he's trying to do at this point. But when Tom Cruise and the wind just blows at the perfect time, he's looking at the, uh, the thing rays, he's looking at Thandy, he's looking down, the sand just perfectly just wind takes over the you see the gun and he just gives this wink and i and then the kick happens and it flies oh my god it's just oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> i i i want to see all of the outtakes of it not working right with him kicking yeah. and the gun just going boom, flying way off or flying too far <laughs> one way or, hit, or hitting hitting tom cruise in the face i want to see those outtakes because it, it's so hilarious yeah because it flies yeah oh it's really definitely a spring yeah. And it flies up perfectly where he can then turn, catch it, land, shoot him once, and then eh, we'll shoot him a couple more times just because he's really irritated yeah. me when he yeah. tried to shoot here. Yeah. Yep. But the, <laughs> the funny, because um, the, it reminded me of that thing in, speaking of Scott Atkins, in Day Shift when he's playing one of the brothers and they're in the, mm -hmm. that amazing scene when they're in the, in the house and they're just killing all these like amazing acrobatic vampires. And Scott Atkins runs out of bullets, so his brother from Shameless throws him one, and he just like thinks in the gun. He and catches he it. <laughs> he does like a weird gymnast backflip, catches the bullet, and shoots the guy as he lands to do a like kip up. And I'm just like, JJ, you psychopath! Like, get, like get this guy more Netflix movies. That's the My, kind of stuff Netflix yeah. should be making. It should be. My partner lost his goddamn mind in that scene. Like, he started whacking the couch. He was like, holy shit. My wife of all, because she literally, I, I was like, look, you got to watch this. It's like 10 minutes. I swear. You don't have to watch the whole movie. But as soon as, like, Atkins' character shows up, she goes, I, I can see why you're making me watch this or asking me to watch it. <laughs> and then after it was done, I was like, okay. She's like, I think I'll finish the movie. 
And uh, no, yeah, there's just is... sometimes, yeah, we don't want like 100% accuracy in our movies. No. If we're set if we're if we're killing vampires, I want you to shoot a bullet or flick a bullet towards your brother that he catches on a flip and then shoots a guy in the face. That's perfectly yeah. fine. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> and it's like that gun kick in Mission Impossible too. I don't want accuracy. I yep. don't want Tom Cruise to find a gun in the sand. Perfect timing, right at his feet. Kick it up, take it, turn around with a perfect <laughs> hair flick. I mean, my God. Lie on the floor, on the side, and shoot the guy three times. Like, it's just... <laughs> it's what? What does it say about me that every other podcast I'm on, like with you and then with uh, Matt, we were talking about Kurt Russell's hair. Now we're talking about <laughs> Look, I know that mine's 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 going. My my kids point out certain spots. Maybe it's just me, but I'm like, when I see these actors with like great hair, I'm just like, God damn it! I wish I had that kind of hair. Oh no, and I was. This be, is like yeah. Pete Tom Cruise hair. It's it's yeah. gorgeous. It's so, it's just perfect. No, it's watching Guardians 3 again, as you'll see, I got really upset with Chris Pratt's hair because it's a little longer and really kind of curly. And it looks um, really good. It's just, everything's coiffed perfectly. Like, I don't know if they styled it, it was a wig or what, but I'm just like going, man, Chris (laughs) Pratt looks really good. (laughs) There's moments where Chris Pratt, yeah. (laughs) yeah, There's there's moments where I'm like, oh, all right, okay, Chris Pratt, you got just your. But there's moments like that when I saw in the trailer where I'm like, well, damn, Chris Pratt came to play today. Like his hair is on point, and he looks great in this movie. Yes, he's still not best Chris, but he's close. Oh yeah, (laughs) like like best Chris perform Chris Pratt performance I've seen in a. Actually, I think it might be his best performance. Like I love him in all the Guardians movies. That's where he's peak Chris Pratt for me. But yeah, you will be obsessed. I like yeah, like yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean. Real quick, if we're going to, since you since you in turn brought it up, and I love that you know like to go down a rabbit hole just like Matt and Scott Wiley will. I would say, as of right now, Guardians One is my favorite. Okay. Uh, there's parts of Guardians Two that I really love. Yeah, like the 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 Quill and Yondu stuff is yeah. is, is just wonderful. I guarantee, from what I've heard from friends who have seen it who are pessimistic compared to me. They even loved it. So I'm like, okay, it's probably going to go Guardians 1, Guardians 3, Guardians 2. <laughs> so I will say it now. And then when I watch it, hopefully tomorrow, you'll see my ranking when I put it, when I post it on Twitter. But um, but yeah, the, I think that's when, like Guardians 1, Chris Pratt is super charismatic. Yes. And in Guardians 2, he's kind of playing more of that, uh, looking for a, a father figure when you already mm. had it the whole time. You yes. just, both of you just didn't didn't know Kind of like how, you know, both of them won't say that they love each other. Kind of like Cary Grant won't tell Ingrid Bergman. Yes, pretty <laughs> and then much. I'm sure this one's, and then I'm sure this one's going to be an emotional gut punch that I'm I'm ready, but not ready for. So, um, yeah. So I'm glad that all of, that it's kind of united a lot of Twitter. Because, man, when a Marvel movie comes out, it is either feast or famine. People either love yeah. it or hate it. And you, and the fact that some of our, our great friends are saying, this is what Marvel movies could have been has me super excited for James Gunn's take on the DC universe and all that stuff. I just want to see my characters yeah, represented I'm really, well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to what he's going to do with Superman because there's a way James Gunn, when he puts the button on sincerity and keeps it there, yeah. is amazing. Like, it hurts yep. almost. Like, it's just too much. And if he's going to write Superman in that mode, then mm-hmm. 
maybe not as dark as Guardians 3, but if he keeps his button on the sincerity <laughs> mode for um Superman 3, uh, for Superman, yeah, I'm I'm now looking forward to it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh so yeah, so anyway, Dougery Scott getting killed. Wonderful way, wonderful death for a really jerk asshole character the yes. whole time that has literally no redeeming qualities whatsoever, even nope. in death. <laughs> and um I like 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 you said, I really like that. Ving Rings always comes in and is there at the right time in these movies, even though he's the computer guy. He's like always Ethan's right hand. Like he's the guy Ethan can go to when he needs yes. something. Like he's the he's, one who Ethan's going to toss the, you know, uh, the, the um, antidote. The to. antidote yeah. He's the one that, that Ethan's going to, you know, take it down in the trenches because he need, he wants to be. And I love that they've carried his character on throughout the whole series. And I'm really looking forward to the next one. Um, you know, I mean, more than just to see Tom Cruise's death. I mean, we've now gotten to the point where we used to hide the stunts in movies. Now they're just like, huh, you want to see it? We're going to show it to you in the fucking trailer. <laughs> yes. No, I'm actually really looking forward to the new Mission Impossible. Are they doing a two-parter like the Fast movies? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think this is yeah. de what Dead Reckoning Part One. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to it because I do like the crew that they've put together for the Mission Impossible's. I love Simon Pegg, Ben Reigns, um, uh, Rebecca Ferguson in it. I I'm all for all of all of that. Oh, Rebecca so Ferguson. You could put Rebecca Ferguson in anything. I don't want to get too thirsty, but oh my god, like, is there a better mixture of? I mean. To me, it was like she's like the next generation, like she's like the next Kate Winslet, like beauty yeah. and talent all mixed in one, and she can do any different role, and it's yeah. wonderful. But um, I mean, not only that, but I mean, they they're bringing back like you know what um, Henry, uh, what's how do you pronounce his last? I can't remember from the very first Mission Impossible. <laughs> was it some says Marie? Somebody says Marie. <laughs> I don't know, but he's but amazing, it, like, joke in a suit, and he's amazing. It's just what I saw, yeah, I'm like, oh, and yes. This looks like every, like, oh, you, this is for all of you fans who've watched this Mission Impossible 1, and you're going to get something that you've wanted in all these movies. And, like, I mean, we even are seeing in the trailer, like, Tom Cruise doing sleight of hand again, like he did in yes. the first movie. Yes. Which hasn't been touched upon in, what, 20 years? <laughs> nope. It's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, the Mission Impossible movies and the Fast movies, do share a lot of DNA, as in they yeah. the continuity always means something. Like they, yeah. they're never going to really drop anything. There's a couple of things that far, the Mission Impossible movies have dropped, and as soon as I think that, it's like, oh no, it's back. Wait, are they going to somehow bring Henry Cavill back to life? Because that would be kind of cool. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, uh, such a good Mission Impossible villain. I think when he cocks his arms, oh, Jesus. I could watch him load his load those biceps and that cheesy mustache. There's a part of me, you know me. I've got the beard. I will. I yeah. will never shave it. My wife. Yeah. My wife likes it. I. I like it. But there was a part of me where I was like, man, that guy makes a mustache look goddamn sexy as hell. Like, he oh really my god. Does. I, I'm like, if that would be the mustache I would want, or just yeah. I've often joked like, you know, you could just wish yourself in to look like anybody it's like okay uh henry cavill or henry cavill in mission impossible boom yeah. like, Boom. like it's it's kind of incredible but yeah they do share a lot of dna in terms of mm -hmm. i personally i'm probably more of a mission impossible person but in saying Same. that i have always watched a fast and furious movie no matter how much i mock it or complain or kind of what i mean the fact that we've got jack reacher and jason momoa 
in the movie and they're bringing back John Cena, <laughs> I'm just like, they brought back, I mean, yep. no one dies. <laughs> impossible I mean, in a Fast and Furious movie. Um, it's, it's just kind of amazing. And I was, even though it was the dumbest way, I was just like, yeah, bring back Han. Are you going to bring back Giselle? Because I'd, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bring back Giselle. That's fine. Yeah. The only person I hate to say I don't want to bring back is uh, we, we don't need a digital Paul Walker. I don't want it. No. I don't need it. I don't, I don't want to see it. No. I don't care. We, no. We said goodbye to him in seven, went in a really well done sequence that was actually emotional and heartfelt. It was and, and heartfelt. If they yep. do it again, I think um, I'm gonna be. Why are we doing this? this is like Peter Cushing and um, which apparently his family said he would have loved, but I'm just like, I don't need to see a dish of Peter Cushing. I like the real Peter Cushing. I mean, I and, do like uh, the real Peter Cushing, but but I'm also a Star Wars nerd. So for me, when I saw, I was like, Grand Moff Tarkin's back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, there was parts of me that were like, oh, I don't like digital this, but also I'm like, but they're giving me Grand Moff Tarkin in a movie that I want to see him in. So I'm, I'm a uh, walking conundrum. <laughs> well, yeah, because apparently Peter Cushing would have loved it. This is according to his family, because he was upset that he got killed in the first one because he would have liked to gone back and do more Star Wars oh, because the man gosh, yeah. was just the sweetest, most gentle, most perfect human. Well, not most perfect. No one's perfect. Um, Peter Cushing ruled and he loved to work and he loved to be in anything and he had a good time on Star Wars, even though the other British cast were complaining because they thought it was dumb. <laughs> he was walking around going, this is awesome. I'm in a massive spaceship and would have loved to come back. So uh, I'm not as upset that they, but yeah, I'm saying I'm like, did you really need to just make a digital version of bringing that stuff in? Right. <laughs> but yeah, but but if they if they do a Paul Walker, it will just minimize it. It will irritate me. And it, it will just kind of shit on the legacy of what Paul Walker gave to the franchise. And I'm yes. like, no, let that, let him go. We, it, it's, yeah. it's super sad what happened but we were able to say our goodbyes. And in that universe, that character should be at peace away from all of this. Yes. Start, yeah, and don't leave it be. try and, yeah, don't, because they keep trying to say, oh, he's right there. It's like, just let him go. Um, let him go. Let him go. It's, but yeah, I'm, but in terms of that, I'm still more Mission Impossible just because I think mm -hmm. the craft behind it is incredible. Like I think just when Tom Cruise is hanging off the building in Dubai, when he's oh my hanging gosh. on the side of a plane, when he's um, just the way the, the action set pieces. I mean, I even love in uh, Ghost Pro when he's escaping from the prison. And, oh no, uh, oh. Um, no, Scott Pegg is trying to get into a sketch. He's opening doors and he's just shaking his head going, no, I'm going over here. And it's like, what are you, like, I love that whole sequence, how playful it is. It's um, oh, how it just starts with the ball and he's like, yes. It's like, I like, I like when Tom Cruise does quirky. And when he makes yes. Ethan Hunt quirky, there's like it's it's there's a little more to it than just this super cool spy that does everything perfectly. And yeah. I like when things don't quite go Ethan Hunt's way. And I like in these later movies, like they have they those, those moments yeah. where they're like, oh shit, this happened. Okay, well, improvise and we'll we'll figure it out. Which happens so much, but that's kind of the great thing. Nothing kind of works. I mean, there's this one scene, I think it's again in Ghost Proats when he's he's got the coat he's kind of flying off the building at doing mm -hmm. a zipline and he kind of falls on the floor and then turns around and it looks like he's actually going oh shit I survived that as Tom Cruise going holy shit I survived that 
<laughs> yep. And I, I think part of that has got to be Christopher McQuarrie. McQuarrie. Like mm. um, the fact that he's, you know, been able to kind of carry through with Cruz and it's like, okay, you want to jump off of a building? Let's figure out how to, you can safely jump off of a building. Like they're willing to, to put the time and effort into it. Um, I mean, Craven ghost, uh, you know, ghost, not ghost pro was uh fallout when he breaks, when, you know, that scene of him breaking his ankle and you know, he's broken his ankle when he, you yeah. know, is chasing him down. And that is another scene where I like when Simon Pegg's telling him, turn left, turn right. And then he's like, Oh, wait a minute. 3D. He's like, oh, you're on the third floor. My bad. Like, and he's like, <laughs> oh. so he grabs a chair and throws it through the window. Like, hmm. again, I like when they make Mission Impossible a little quirky. And I think Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise and Ving Rings all work that together well. And um, and yeah, I'm I'm incredibly excited for this next one. It again looks like it takes all the best elements of what came before, and they're just going to add to it. And we wouldn't have the same Ethan Hunt as we did without mission impossible too. Cause no. he's still, he, he's still throwing kicks. He's still throwing punches. The first mission impossible, he gets his ass kicked. He doesn't do a whole lot of fights. No, he, he mostly gets his ass kicked, which I kind of love. He, Cause he starts off Me not too. being, he's kind of the, the mask guy of the group. That's kind of what his, cause in the original show, everyone kind of had their, just their kind of, this is what they did. And he was the guy who wore yep. the mask. And so, yep. Watching this one, he's still, it's very mask heavy, which I always love a mask, the, the face-off thing in Mission Impossible is my favorite thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. I hope they do it a lot more in the next co- upcoming couple of movies. Um, and yeah, but you need that because you kind of see the character grow a little bit. I love how the character always falls in love. Like he's, he's he just wants to settle down. Like he's, <laughs> right. he loves what's her name at the beginning, even though she's married to John Voight. Um, and I love the fact that he falls in love with Danny Newton. Um, Michelle Mahone, uh, Monaghan has always kind of been the greatest love of his life that you can never, yeah. even when she shows up, is it, oh, what's the one with the, when she, uh, Michelle Monaghan is out being like a Doctors Without Borders and there's a bomb and Ethan shows up fall and she out. just rolls her eyes. Yeah, fall out. And she just goes, oh, okay, what's going to explode <laughs> as soon as she sees him? And that, and that she kind of joins in. She's like, all right, I'll help you, even though yeah. he would not want any part of her, her help whatsoever. Yeah. But yeah. Ving, Ving, Ving Rings is a smart one that goes, okay, I need your surgeon-like hands to help me cut these things at the same time while he's off fighting Henry Cavill in, in um, helicopters. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. She's always there, but then there's also the whole Rebecca Ferguson thing where he's like yes. met his match and again tom cruise is not afraid to share spotlight like i yes we say he we say he's he's super cocky and he he is but maverick maverick shows us a lot of uh, him taking a kind of a step back even though he's he's the reason that everything works in the end but he still lets everybody else shine like he lets these new characters shine yeah and he's not afraid to to get thrown out of a bar by these young kids and just kind of get up and dust himself off and go all right, guess that's where I'm at now. And well, no, I mean Tom Cruise has always had this arc of like, oh, I'm awesome. Wait, am I not awesome? Oh no, I don't think I'm awesome. Oh no, wait, I am awesome. Sorry, yeah, uh, that and that's always been his his arc, and yeah. I enjoy that arc because it allows him to have to go. I have to learn how to be awesome again. <laughs> I mean, Edge of Tomorrow. He's the most non-awesome character for the first hour of that movie. Exactly. Same with uh, War of the Worlds. He is a terrible, terrible father. And he, the process yep. of him becoming 
a good father is um, getting his kids to safety. And same with Asia Tamara. He's a coward. He's an asshole. He doesn't want to do it. And it's a process of him learning how to be awesome. And that I like that Tom Cruise out. I think it works. Yeah, me too. And I like, again, Ethan Hunt is constantly evolving and constantly taking everything from each movie. And that's why these last these last two, I feel, are going to be a total amalgamation of everything that came before. Not quite John Woo action with doves, but definitely some elements of the action and the pacing that John Woo brought. McCoy, you can tell he he carries that through to this day. Because oh, when yeah. they turn the action on in a Mission Impossible movie, it's turned on. The only way Mission Impossible will get even better for me is if Scott Atkins is kicking the shit out of Tom Cruise in Dead Reckoning Part 2 as one of let's, the bad guys. Let's hope. Like just I'm gonna put- I'm gonna sit here and will it into existence. I did it with John Wick or I'll do it again, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my favorite thing is that when the first trailers came out for John Wick, you'll keep looking for Scott Atkins and he wasn't there. And you're like, where is Atkins is meant to have a major role? Then you saw the photo and you went, Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait. I literally, yeah, I turned, I think. Maybe Chris was the, I think Chris and I texted each other at the same exact time, the picture of the poster. And it was just like, I was like, can you believe that this is what we're going to get? And there's a part of me that with him getting a little more exposure, I can see Tom Cruise wanting to work with somebody like Atkins because he hears about his craft, his dedication to it. The fact that he, you know, just works super hard and if we don't get it in a Mission Impossible movie, maybe another movie down the road. I think I just think Scott Atkins plays a really good bad guy. As much as I love him as a, a hero or an anti-hero, he just plays the best bad guys when he gets to chew up scenery. And he likes really, have, it looks like he's having fun when he's playing a villain. Yeah, he does. Yes, and it comes through, and that's what Mission Impossible does. When you get a good villain, like these last couple have had some really good scene chewing villains that stand mm-hmm. out and are memorable. Like what was the from uh, the one, not not ghost ghost Prots, but the one after that with uh, Rebecca Ferguson when she first comes in, the the he talks kind of like this. And oh, the, and they're bringing him back for this one as well. I was just like, oh, yes, shit, yes, shit. yeah, he's great, and I like when Ethan meets a bad guy that he just can't punch in the face to beat. He has to think it through, and that's a wonderful part of that movie is that he tra- he he beats him at the end without fighting him quote unquote he outsmarts him and again that's what ethan hunt brings to this whereas the fast movies are all about beating him with family or Mm. beating him with you know that this is about ethan using his group but also his smarts more than his athleticism and fighting skills no yeah yeah absolutely right he has to do it kind of and he has to do it a little bit with duggery as well like he has to kind of outsmart Mm -hmm. him and trying to just give them enough time before they can start beating each other on the beach. But no, I think um, Mission Impossible 2 is a really good movie. Is it, is, is it the best Mission yeah, Impossible movie? No. But is, it a, is yeah. there a bad Mission Impossible movie? No. There really isn't. No. 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 I mean, yeah, even the worst Mission Impossible movie is still better than a lot of other action movies out there. Like yeah, in really terms is. of franchises, it's, it's like I say, there's no bad Star Wars movie. Everything after, but there's Star Wars here and everything else down here for me. So, but again, why sit there and focus on something that could be considered quote unquote bad when there's so much good in Mission Impossible 2 to look at? There's excellent cinematography. There's, I mean, now granted, the soundtrack, oh, oh also, 
That's what I can't believe you mentioned Limp Biscuit. There was so many moments when I was like, "Am I watching Gladiator right now?" Because they, because <laughs> on summer they came out the same year. Because I was like, yeah. "Wait a minute, did this come out before or after?" And I was like, "Oh, same year." Okay, and he's working. He's, he's like, working okay. at the same time, probably. Well, similar. So he was right. But it goes between moments of Hans Zimmer being just, I'm like, just giving us some some awesome, just ambiance that sells their whole thing. But then it goes into Limp Limp Biscuit doing material, uh, doing the like theme song, and I was like, yes. oh, what is happening here? If this doesn't personify the 2000s, I don't know what does. No, it's, it's Hans Zimmer. It because when it kicks off and you hear that dun 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 and it but it's limp biscuits kind of version i'm just like yes we are in the now officially in the 2000s because we it's now new metal (laughs) oh and liam will liam liam will love it and there's a part of me there's like like that meathead part of me goes yes but also i'm like you got hans zimmer man let him do the score like don't bring limp biscuit into this (laughs) i'm just like yeah because i never quite got on the new metal kind of bandwagon i guess and um <laughs> i'm just sitting here just like outside again yeah yeah little biscuits that is even though it's because the mission impossible score is one of the greatest kind of themes just whoever came up with that in the 50s i can't remember but you did an amazing job oh, was it La- uh was it was Lalo- it schifrin i think it was schifrin i think it was lala schifrin yeah um like who was an already amazing composer so when he does that you're like yes mm-hmm. and then even when limpus gets a hold of it i'm like yeah you can tell this is limpus <laughs> <laughs> and let's you know what without this they may have tried it in a later mission apostle movie so we can be thankful we got it out of the way in the 2000s when the new metal was was new metal and now we have amazing go back to the soundtrack classical. after soundtrack and we go back to the classical and that's what we need in these movies. Yeah. Like there's something, that's what I like about Mission Impossibles is there's a timelessness to it mm. in that it doesn't matter if this happened in the, the 2000s, but the story is timeless. Some of the action set pieces are timeless. It doesn't matter what year it fell in, but when you throw some certain music or sound into it, I'm like, oh yeah, this really dates it. And that's yeah. one thing that this movie does that I'm glad the other ones do not. And they learn from it. Yes. Much like Ethan Hunt has learned from all his past experiences, the Mission Impossible franchise has also learned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not to say I don't Although, like the theme, but I'm just like, you can so tell this is Love Biscuit and you can tell this is the 2000. Like, I think, because I don't think 3 <laughs> came out until like 2006? No. When did, I can't remember when 3 came out. It was a little bit laughter, this one, when they decided to... Uh, six. Six, yeah, it was six, so oh six the, years, the year yeah. of Mark yeah the year of Mark Warner so I can imagine he's probably a fan of um, Mission Impossible great um as well but it is it, yeah so it kind of went back to more the more classical kind of thing and then you get even Brad Bird and Ghost Prots doing something really weird with it you're like actually I like this it sounds like it comes from the Incredibles and I'm not angry about it. <laughs> Uh, no, I want Brad Beard, I want him to direct more live action kind of cool spectacle movies because yeah. he brings a flair to it that he's like, why aren't we doing what we do in animation just with people? Like have Tom Cruise yeah. hanging off the side of a building, have a giant sandstorm come in and let him run into it. Great. <laughs> yeah, let him hang off a building. Um, it's, yeah, Mission Impossible 2, good movie. I really, yeah, it's a it's a fun time. And you get those Hitchcocky moments, I even quote Cat Thief in it. I'm like, yeah, I like to catch <laughs> It's a good movie. That's yeah. about it. If you if you were not to Hitchcock, where you're seeing, um, Cary Grant be just Cary Grant to catch a thief. 
and um, North Bay Northwest. Um, they are just, that's what Cary Grant is. It's what he does. He's ended with To Catch a Thief. He's with uh, Grace Kelly. So you're just looking at it going, this is way too much beautiful right now. I don't think I can quite <laughs> handle this. Um, but yeah, this has been an amazing, amazing double. Um, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having last me. Last minute thank as well. For... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, last last minute's wonderful we, for me because that yeah. gives me more more reason to watch some excellent movies. So thank you for having me on again. Thank you for pushing me out of my zone to watch um, Notorious, which will notoriously go down as one of my favorite watches of this year. I think so. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you for watching it. This is a double I've been kind of wanting to do for a while. I should credit uh, Michael Scott. For this because he we were talking and uh, and he goes oh no i said oh because i sort of said oh yeah because it's a lot like notorious and he goes no it's a straight up remake of notorious Lindsay went oh yeah it is too <laughs> i so, um, i yeah. love and hate i love and hate how smart all of our friends are online like yeah. i sit there and get done with this and i'm like ah oh. i i like you know wrote uh um uh preston after my last podcast i was like yeah I feel so dumb. And he's just like, don't feel dumb. It makes sense for this, 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 this reason. But then, you, you know, Mike Scott, of course he came up with this, with his double, because Mike is one of the best and one of the just one of the smartest coolest thinkers. Yeah, he's always yeah. going to be the smartest guy in the room. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. I should have done it at the top, but I'm doing it I'm now. glad um, I'm not in the yeah. room with him, but that's fine by me. I will be, I will gladly be Mike's, Mike's bodyguard when we're in the room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yes, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Okay, uh, as in terms of work, because you have a lot of great writers and other people on here that have stuff, uh, you can find me on Twitter and um, Instagram, being super positive as always at Andrew M. Gorham. Uh, coming up soon, myself, Chris, and Mark will be launching or relaunching uh, the Star Wars podcast, Imperial Scum. So be on the lookout for that. And other than that, just once again, thank you for having me on. It was an absolute blast to talk to awesome movies. No, thank you. Um, this was an absolute blast as always. Can't wait to do it again. In fact, it might be sooner rather than later if I can get Chris organized. Well, depending, because Chris is very busy. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, if you want to follow Schlock and um, or, uh, we're on all the, uh, all the pods. Also, Schlock and or one on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow just me which is very similar to Shuck and all um reading geek on twitter and letterboxd um all right we will be back with another double feature all right thanks guys bye <laughs>